Good morning, it's DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, coming up, we're going to get to the best of the Jazz postgame show as the Utah Jazz pick up a win, beat the Portland Trailblazers, blow them out in the third quarter and win decisively. we got that coming up in the next segment. Uh, after that, of course, what is trending? Get you caught up in everything in sports, including the Masters. Got to give it to Bob Casper. He was uh, mostly spot on, one small mistake, but, you know, he told us that uh, – at the Masters, um, I, I said something at the start of the interview about, well, you know, why are the greens uh, all brown? Well, they're anticipating thunderstorms. That water will hit the greens, so they got them a little stressed, so they're showing a little brown. It's also making them real fast. He said the conditions for scoring are not good. He says, you know, two, three under is going to be a pretty good score. And sure enough, the best golfers are mostly parked at two and three under, and the one exception is a leader, Justin Rose, who got to seven under. Bob Taylor from Real Golf Radio, Bob's tag team partner will join us coming up uh, later in the show and we'll talk to them about that and see how the second round gets going but rose at seven under real impressive really not the kind of start that suggested he was going to do it he was two over after seven holes and then he just went on a birdie tear mixed in an eagle actually started it with an eagle and then put together a bunch of birdies and uh, got to seven under and everybody else is back at two and three under he's got a four stroke lead so it's early though we'll see if that holds up but heck of a way to start the tournament so that's on the way want to spend a few minutes now talking football at the university of utah they've got a scrimmage coming up saturday and then they've got the spring game a week from saturday and you know there's a lot of jobs to be sorted out obviously quarterback and obviously running back where you know they got guys transferring into the program at both those positions and they got to get that all sorted out sounds like quarterback pretty much is maybe not further down the depth chart but up at the top it is uh and running back and you know they need a receiver to emerge over on the defensive side of the ball It seems like things are in pretty good shape. Now, you know, there may be some changes to the depth chart and things may work their way out. They've got some guys who aren't going to be here until the summer and we'll have to see how that plays out. And uh, Colton Swan, the linebacker coach, will get into that in just a minute. Um, But as PK and I talked about it, uh, you know, the thing that really stands out here is, one, the Utes come with a rep. You figure they're going to work it out defensively and get it figured out. Although we didn't see a full season of guys, we saw them in some weird circumstances, we saw that these young guys were already a little, they're already better than average. Um, Not a lot better, not dominant, not great. Now, maybe they'll get there, but it's not what they were last year. Um, The number in college football, average points in a game, bounces around every year, but it's usually in the 28 to 30 range. And that's been pretty consistent for a long time. That's kind of the ballpark. And so you look at what the Utes did last year. You know, they only played five games. It's not a huge sample size. But in the five games they played, in four of them, they held their opponent under 30 points. The only one they didn't was the first one against USC, which was a weird circumstance because SC had played twice and the Utes had not played at all. They didn't have a non-conference shakedown. They didn't have anything like that. They just jump in and play a big game with USC. Winner gets the upper hand in the division race. <laughs> it's crazy. Such a weird season. Uh, and so the Utes lose a the game. They give up 33 points. Now, after that, they don't give up 30 again. So that's a good sign right there. They had some halves that weren't good. They, um, you know, had a good first half at Washington, but blew a lead, had a bad second half, and lost the game. Now, even those numbers were a little misleading because they had a turnover and, you know, the 
short field or whatever. And, and then they had the uh, Colorado game where they didn't have a good first half, but they had a great second half, and they wiped out a 21-10 deficit and won the game. And then they had the last game against Washington State where it seemed like, honestly, they said we're not going to a bowl. They knew that before the game, and they kind of checked out. And they played a terrible first half and gave up 28 points, but shut them out in the second half and scored 38 points and won the game. <laughs> so it was weird all over, but when you look at, at, the, at the end of the season – they were holding everybody under 30 points, except SC, who'd played two games and they hadn't. And even then, the number was 33. So we expect the defense to be good. It looks like they've got the talent to be good. Now, these guys only have five games under the belt, but it does give us a little something. They should be better. They've played the games. They've watched film. They've gone over stuff. They'll get some reinforcements here. So expect the defense to be better. And they're already, you know, pretty good. Anywhere between, you know, average to a little better than average in some pretty tough circumstances. So now how will it be, you know? Now it's hard to predict because of course, you know, you got to figure out, well, how's this going to work for everybody else? Because they also have, depending on the school, four or five, six games under their belt. And so for some of these schools, especially ones we didn't see the youths play, um, you know, maybe not follow them as close. I tend to watch the Pac-12 South teams more than the Pac-12 North teams. Um, you know, there's only so many hours on a Saturday, and I'm trying to watch BYU, Utah, and Utah State, and then keep an eye on the Pac-12 South. And in the case of uh, Utah State, a couple key teams in the Mountain West. Um, you know, watch some of the better teams there, usually, you know, Boise State and San Diego State. Um, but whoever else is having a big year. So it doesn't leave a lot of time to follow everybody. And I got to say, coming off this bizarro year, I'm a little shaky on even some of the Pac-12 South teams. Colorado was better than expected, but... Man, they look pretty vulnerable against the Utes. You know, at home, they're up 21-10, they're rolling, and they fall apart and lose the game. So did they sneak up on people with a new coach? Are they really that good as they get everything, you know, as the rest of the conference gets everything on tape and there's no surprises and you understand really what the other team's trying to do? Can you control them? Can you beat them? So I don't know what to think of Colorado. And UCLA, I'm a little shaky on them. And Arizona, looks like they're bad and they're going to need time. USC, even if they should, even if they underachieve, the only level they're going to drop to is very good. Now, you can argue they should be great and that she should be 11 1 or 12 0 because they're SC, blah, blah, blah. But you know, I, I don't think they're falling to 3 and 9. They're not falling to 4 and 8 under Clay Helton. Now, they may go 8 and 4 and be a disappointment. He may get fired for that. That could happen. Uh, but I don't think they're falling farther than that. SC's pretty good, Arizona's pretty bad. I think ASU and Utah are both good. Now the question is, can they be very good or can they be great? I think they ought to both be seven, eight win teams. Don't have a good feel for UCLA and Colorado. Not not sure what to think there. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. It's it's intriguing, certainly. Uh, time to hear from the Utes. We'll start with a linebacker coach. Uh, Colton Swan, he comes with a ton of energy. He's in his third year up on the Hill. Before that, he played at Weber State and then coached at Weber State. was at Weber State for like a decade and a half and you know, worked with multiple head coaches, but you know, obviously did well with Jay Hill, and uh, Kyle picks him up. So here's linebacker coach Colton Swan. Morning, Coach. How are you? Good, Trevor. How are you? Doing good. Um, when, when you heard that Devin Lloyd was coming back for another season, what was your reaction? God, that was Christmas morning right there, wasn't it? Huh? Yeah, it was, uh, my reaction was pretty excited. He, uh, he, as everybody knows, he's a phenomenal player, phenomenal young man. And, uh, what a, what a blessing, uh, very excited to have him back the opportunity to work with him for one more year, uh, perfecting his craft. You know, uh, we're always sharpening that ax, meaning we're always preparing, meaning we're always working to get better. 
and uh and he's a huge component of that so yeah christmas morning for sure and then to follow up on that you have two young guys who who've already joined you in in spring that were highly touted in trey reynolds and and uh, mason tufaga how have they performed in spring ball awesome we uh 10 practices in thus far and really grabbing the bull by the horns they're doing a great job they uh they come to work and work hard every day. Um, they've got a really good foundation coming into it already. Uh, a good, very good mindset. Um, the foundation of hard work has already been built. They love spending time in the in the uh, video room, wearing those projectors out. Um, great attitudes. Very tenacious kids. Very physical. Um, and yeah, love love everything about them that I'm seeing thus far. Okay, we'll go to Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Colton, how are you? Good, Josh. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. Um, Good. When you when you look at the room right now and, and just what you have, how, how reasonable is it maybe to believe that Ethan Calvert, when he gets there, could get on the field right away? Oh, Ethan's a uh, special player. Uh, he's had a great high school career. Um, you know, he's very highly touted across the country as linebacker play in his recruiting process. Um, you know, there's the expectations are high. Uh, but in this program, in with me, nothing's nothing ever is given. It's always earned. Um, so the expectation is for him to come in and work hard, just like everybody else, and uh, and and earn that spot. If it's going to be on the field, you got to earn it. Um, you know. But my expectations are high. He's a very uh, very good uh, high school player, and uh, I've got to do a good job in coaching him and putting him in position. But uh, I want him to come in and, and earn it and work for it, and which I know he will. That's his mentality and who he is. And just to follow that up, when when you guys are able to get a recruit of that caliber, as you said, a great high school player, you know, the four-star, the whole thing, when you're able to get a, a kid like that, do, does that do something for the perception of Utah and for the perception of the defense at Utah? I think no doubt, no doubt. I think the country sees that, hey, the type of defense that we are, the style that we are, um, especially, you know, linebackers across the country that want to come play here. We've got a great defensive line in front of us uh, and, and playing the linebacker position that allows you to be very successful, um, have very high production and, uh, you know, being able to scrape from sideline to sideline. So, um, yeah, I think that's a huge recruiting tool uh, as well. And, and linebackers, like I said, across the country can see that and want to come play uh, for this university and this style of defense, no doubt. Next, we'll go back to Trevor Allen. Nephi really had a, I, I would say, breakout season last year. And, and, you know, what was what was some of the things that, you know, for him to be able to move from safety to linebacker and really produce the way that, that they did in those five games last year, what does that speak to what he's done? Man, he what a great kid. Uh, first off, he is, I should say, young man. He is a phenomenal individual, and he has an uncanny ability to get to the football. It's, it's something like I've never seen. He really, really understands offense. He really, really understands defense, and he puts himself in great positions to make plays. He's very productive, as you guys know. Um, you know, he's not the biggest man in stature, but uh, he's, he does pack a powerful punch, and uh, he is physical, and probably his best attribute is just how he can find ways to get to the football. Uh, he's just got a unbelievable knack for the football. 
There's linebacker coach Colton Swan. Now, well, here's one of his star linebackers, Nephi Sewell. Nephi, you had a really productive 2020 season, especially when, when you moved up to linebacker. What led to, to being so productive in that season? Um, what led to me being productive was I got to give credit to our D linemen. You know, they take on a lot of blocks for me and Devin to come clean. And then shout out to Coach Juan for, you know, coaching me throughout the you know, COVID season last year. You know, it wasn't easy for everyone. But um, I'm glad that I got the, the move to linebacker, and I'm glad that I had such a good coach, Coach Juan. And then also um, thanks to Coach Scally for um, scheming to put us in the right places, uh, everyone in the right places throughout uh, each week. So, yeah. And then do a follow-up on that. Um, coach Swan said that you have a great nose for – for where the football is, does that come natural, or 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 do you have to work at that? Um, it comes natural, but um, at the same time, it comes uh, with practicing. You know, it's our culture to be relentless to the ball, and then uh, this spring has been like a, a teaching lesson to the young people of how to become our culture. You know, running to the ball. Throughout every day of practice definitely helps when it comes to game. It comes easier. It comes easier in the game because my adrenaline's running. But yeah. Next question will come from Cole Bagley with the Utah Daily Chronicle. Nephi, uh, is there anything that you're working on specifically this uh, this off season to improve your game? Uh, yeah. So the main thing that's uh, I've been trying to improve on with my game is uh, definitely taking on uh, blocks with linemen. I felt like uh, that is where uh, I needed to improve most in terms of when to strike on the linemen and when to not. But that's basically my biggest thing I'm trying to focus on this uh, spring. And then just to follow up, being one of the, the upperclassmen linebackers, what are your uh, initial thoughts on some of the new freshmen that have joined the program? I'm actually glad that they're, they're here. You know, um, it's not an easy decision to leave your family coming early really, but uh, I've been impressed with a lot of the new guys. You know, they're picking up the defense uh, pretty well. Um, obviously, there's some mistakes because it's only been a couple weeks in the spring, but we're coming to the end of it. I'm really proud of them. You know, they're working hard every day to get better, and uh, I couldn't be more proud. All right, there's Nephi Sewell, and you hear from the Ute linebackers. And uh, we got one more week of this kind of access, and uh, the Utes holding their press conferences at 8 o'clock. So we'll have that for you next Tuesday and Thursday mornings live at 8 o'clock. And they've got the scrimmage on Saturday, and then a week from Saturday, the spring game. And then they get to shut it down and move on with their season. That'll be the end of spring ball. All right, DJ and PK, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will get to the good stuff. The Utah Jazz pummeling the Portland Trailblazers. A fantastic third quarter. Just when I thought they were susceptible to the fatigue, you know, an emotional game on the road, the overtime, the extra night, it's going gonna, it's gonna to catch up with them somewhere around the middle of the third quarter. Instead, they turned the game on its ear and they dominated Portland. Won that quarter 40-19. to 19, Won the game by 19 points. So we'll hear from the Jazz, from Quinn Snyder, from Donovan Mitchell, from Rudy Gobert, and uh, also from Derek Favors. That's all next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. 
Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Well, our long national nightmare, our long local sports nightmare, The two bad Jazz games are now over. The Jazz have won again. There will be no three-game losing streak, at least not this week for sure, right? The Jazz get the win over Portland Trailblazers, 122-103, to a fantastic third quarter. Is the key to the game. They did it without Jordan Clarkson, was out with an ankle injury. Time for the best of the postgame show, and we'll hear from the guys now. And here is Jake to take you through the best of the postgame show. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jazz with a big-time win over the Blazers last night, 122-103. to The Jazz outscored the Blazers in the third quarter, 40-19 to to put this game away. Uh, they were led by Donovan Mitchell, who had 37 points, 5 boards, and 4 assists. Rudy Gobert with a monster game, 18 points, 21 rebounds. Uh, Bogdanovich and Conley both with 11 apiece. George Niang had 10. Joe Ingles had 13 and six assists for Joe and five rebounds coming in off the bench. Uh, Joe Ingles' show expected later today here on DJ and PK. But let's get you some post-game sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Tony Jones, The Athletic. Coach, um, two-part question. Donovan, it's, it uh, seemed like he, he, he uh, kind of decided to take this one over early. You know, what were you seeing out of his performance and – and uh, how happy were you with the way you guys defended, especially in the second half? Well, that, that's really how we took the game over. Um, you know, Donovan obviously attacking the rim and making plays. My Literally my favorite play that Donovan made tonight, and I think a, a really significant play that he actually, I think if you ask him, was aware of and, and, and happy with is when he, he drove the gap and just made a quick little kick to Joe Ingles who banged a three. Um, so our ability to move the ball, uh, regardless of who's attacking, you know, Donovan, obviously, as you said, Tony, and, and he did tonight, you know, especially um, when he was able to get on the rim too, because it just opened a lot of things up. But our defense was the biggest thing and our defensive rebounding in the third quarter, I thought really broke the game open. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Yeah, Quinn, what, uh, obviously we talk about third quarters a lot. And tonight was a particularly dominant one, 40 to 19. It seemed like there was a big energy change. It seemed like the blender got working a little bit, less isolation, more passing. Was that kind of a focus during halftime? You know, that, that's a consistent focus for us. Um, you know, learning um, how to attack collectively when teams are, are switching, um, learning how to attack you know, when teams are really dropping their bigs, just handling all those different situations and, you know, still staying connected offensively. And then, 
you know, there's, there's situations where guys have to create shots. And, you know, again, Donovan was able to do that tonight. I thought Joe did that driving to the rim, um, you know, at the end of the clock. But a lot of that stems from our defense. When you're taking the ball to the net and playing against the set defense, it's, it's harder. And I think the more that our whole group thinks about the defensive end, um, the offense will happen. And that's been consistent with our team the whole year. When we throw ourselves into the defensive end, you know, the offense, you're more connected. You know, everything becomes easier. Last question, David James, KUTV. Quinn, you were plus 17 on the backboards tonight. Is that one thing that just kind of happened over the course of the game or was that addressed specifically after the Phoenix game? Well, it's, it's just something that we've talked about all year and it's something that we've got to continue to commit to and it has to be a commitment on a high, high level. Um, you know, if we rebound the way we did tonight last night, we might have a different result. Um, we didn't shoot the ball well tonight, just like the other night, um, but we got on the glass and um, we've got to come up with them. And whatever the level of effort it is, whatever, however physical it is, you know, that's got to be something that as a team that we make you know, if not the biggest priority on the defensive end, you know, right up there with transition defense and, you know, force people to play against the half court, you know, half court defense. There's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. His team wins last night, 122 to 103 over the Portland Trailblazers. Jazz still undefeated at home in 2021, 23 straight wins. Let's get you some more sound. Let's uh, hear from Donovan Mitchell. All right. First question will be from Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Threes weren't going again tonight, but it seemed like, especially in the second half, you guys had a ton of success uh, kind of moving the ball and getting to the rim. Was that kind of a a conscious focus of yours going forward? Yeah, you know, we took a lot of things from the the Phoenix game. You know, it was kind of fortunate that it happened last night because it was so fresh on the mind, you know, coming into today's game, whether it's certain situations where it's dribble handoffs or smoothing the ball side to side, getting out even more in transition. Um, I think that was really what, you know, you know, it's a difference on the offensive end tonight. And uh, we did a good job of that. But we did some of the same things we did against Phoenix. You know, some shots just happened to go in, you know, easy ones, stuff like that. But um, I think for us, just making a conscious effort of getting out and running, you know, and just kind of pushing the pace, um, I think was was good by us. Tony Jones, The Athletic. You know, how big of – was this a big win for you guys in – um, you know, and how, how important was it for you guys to bounce back from from Monday and Wednesday night? Um, I think it was a it was a must win. You know, it was, it, we it was, we wanted to be the team like we we don't lose. First off, you don't lose two in a row, and then you don't lose three. You definitely don't lose three. You know, that's kind of the mindset. You know, so this was a must win. You know, we kind of put you know our focus on that, and you know, not letting three three go to teams that are you know playoff bound and. You know, it's definitely on the forefront of our brain. And, you know, we just got to be ready for it. You know, we got this win tonight. We got um, sack coming in on whatever day it is. Um, But we just got to be ready at every game, every game. You know, we just started with this, and this is a good start. Um, But we got things we can definitely work on and improve on from the road trip that we have to um, address. Nothing too crazy. You know, we did a lot of good things tonight, you know, but we got to continue just to plug away. Um, if you want to be the team, the last team standing, you know, we got a lot of, a lot of things we got to continue to harp on and continue to focus on. And tonight was a good, good start after two tough losses. And um, we keep going from here. Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. 
favors his top 10 in the Jazz all-time scoring list after tonight. Oh. Uh, yeah. He's, yeah, uh, he passed um, the Money Man memo. So, gotcha. you know, I just want to talk about just how he's so underrated, what he does for you guys. And just can you put into perspective the impact that he has on this group? Um, you know, it says a lot that we let him go for a year and come back. Like, you know, immediately brought him back. You know, that says a lot about a person in general. Forget the basketball uh, component of it. Um, I think that that says a lot. Just the fact that we wanted him to bring him back and everybody missed him. And, you know, that's, that's first and foremost, just him as a person, you know, as a player, man, he comes in, does his job. He's a pro's pro. Um, he's humble, um, hardworking. You know, if you didn't say that, he probably wouldn't have said a word about him breaking the top 10 list. Um, he just goes out there and does his job every day, you know, and he does it the right way. You know, we, we love Favo, uh, respect the hell out of Favo for what he does. You know, like you said, he's underrated in that sense. He doesn't get a lot of credit, but he brings the physicality. He brings pressure. He brings effort. He brings all these different things that, you know, kind of elevate us, you know, when he comes in the game and, you know, his presence is definitely felt out there, felt out there each time, um, each time he's out there. And, you know, this is a huge, huge honor for him and I'm happy for him. And, you know, I'm going to go throw some water on him uh, in the locker room. Uh, so hopefully he, does, hopefully he doesn't have his, uh, his what's it called, his walk-in closing. But if he does, then it's on him. But um, I think that that's just who he is, man. He's a great teammate, great person. And, you know, we're happy to have him here. Next up, Mark Medina, USA Today. I don't even good to see. You. I, I got a random one here. I'm asking guys on different teams about their favorite fan stories. Do you have a favorite one? Whether it was like an interaction or favorite in a specific game, like a favorite favorite what? story or memory? It's like for a favorite fan memory. Favorite oh, story. um, man, um. I guess the first one that jumps out is, you know, I had some fan going talking crazy in uh, Detroit like three years ago, two years ago. Um, that's the first one that jumps in my mind. You know, the more fans talk junk and all that, I, I think those are my favorites uh, for me than the the cheering, to be honest. I love when people, you know, say you suck or can't do this, can't do that, you know, during the game. I think it just provides a level of excitement for me. Um, but the one that is fresh on the brain – is definitely the one in Detroit. Um, was it two years ago, maybe? Uh, and I had a pretty pretty good second half because of that person. You know, I had a really, I had a terrible first half, and then he said something, um, and you know, I let him know it after you know the fourth quarter. But um, that's probably the one that stands out for me. Are you able to share what he said and what the exchange was after going? Man, I I really don't remember uh, to be honest with you. Um, to be honest with you, he might have just said something innocently, and I just took it as personal, um, to be honest. But, you know, I just remember him saying something. He could have just been cheering his team on, but he was just in my face about it as I walked to the locker room, and it's all I really needed. You know, I enjoy that stuff. And, you know, he was going throughout the fourth quarter, and it wasn't like anything personal, anything bad, but it was just like something just like fun going back and forth and, you know, along the lines of like, you know, we're better than you or – Something like that, or we should have, we, we didn't want to draft you, whatever the hell it was, but it was just, it was fun. Um, and shout out to that fan, whatever his name was. Next up, John Kuhn, AP. Donovan, one of the positive things that you talked about happened in this game was uh, the rebounding. Um, you guys had 
plus 17 advantage on the on the boards tonight. Um, third quarter especially, you were able to, to attack the glass and, and really get rebounds. Uh, was that more of a focus tonight after kind of struggling on the glass against Phoenix? Yeah, and I think, like I said, I think it was – I mean, it's unfortunate that we lost, but you learn things in a loss. And I think with that having played yesterday, that was on the forefront of our brains. It was so fresh in our head, and we made a conscious effort to go out there and, and do that. You know, I think that was – you know, it's it's not so much grabbing the rebound. It's the work you do before it. You know, it's not so much as going up there and, and grabbing it. It's the, the hits. And if you watch the game back, you know, guys running from one spot – to the next to hit somebody to get to prevent them from getting on the glass, you know, whether it's Cantor, it's Nurkic, it's Powell, it's Jones, just trying to find ways to knock them off their course. Cause after a while, after you get hit, you stop going, you know, and then you stop trying to go for rebounds. And <clears throat> that was really the focus for us, you know, and with it happening so fresh last night, uh, it was right there in the, right there in the front of our brains and we did a good job of it. But now we've got to continue to do it throughout the entire game. We got to do it when, Things aren't going well. We got to do it when things are going great, you know, and I think that's the challenge for us coming forward. There's Donovan Mitchell, 37 points on 14 of 25 shooting at four assists and five rebounds. You heard him talk about Derek Favors moving into 10th on the all-time jazz leading scorer list. Let's now hear from Derek Favors. All right, we'll start with Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Fabe. So uh, quite simply, what was the difference in the rebounding between last night and tonight? Um, <clears throat> I think the whole team kind of put an emphasis on, you know, helping the bigs on the rebound when we go in, me and Rudy going contested shots. Now I think they made an emphasis on coming in, um, coming in the paint, just help, helping us get rebounds, you know, and I think that was the big difference tonight versus, you know, last night against Phoenix where we gave up, I don't know how many offensive rebounds, but you no, know, tonight, um, that was a big emphasis for us. Appreciate it. Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Okay, Fave, I got I got two for you. First of all, congrats on entering the top ten in the Jazz All Time Scoring. Donovan said you're not going to really talk about yourself much because you're such a humble guy. But what is it about this Jazz team that allows you to thrive in your role? Um, I think in the past, um, you know, I got to give half of it to Joe Ingles. <laughs> You know he uh, he assists me on a lot of my on, on a lot of my scoring, but um, you know overall with this team, you know just the ball movement, you know everybody get a chance to make plays, be able to score, um, be able to take their shots, and um, you know overall it's been a, it's been a blessing for me to be on be with one team, one organization, and um, to reach an accomplishment like that, you know that's a blessing for me. When your teammate says that you have hands like Julio Jones. What do you think about that? <laughs> I try to tell them, man. I tell all the guards, whether it's Joe, Mike, Donovan, JC, I tell them, man, you throw it anywhere near me, I'm going to catch it because I don't want to give them that turnover. So even if I don't score the ball, you know, I'm going to try to catch. I'm going to try to, you know, keep it in play. And if um if I can't catch it, nobody in the NBA can catch that, catch that pass. So, you know, I joke with the guys a lot. I tell them that I got the best hands in the NBA. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, I'm just kind of thinking about your years with this team. And, and, you know, it's funny, you had the chance to play against Ennis tonight and you'd spend those years kind of playing with him. But, I mean, kind of looking back on that part of your career, I mean, your role is different than it is now. Um, I, how do you kind of kind of put it all in perspective uh, getting into that top 10 and, and what it means? Um, I think throughout the years I've been able to adjust 
pretty well. Um, you know, whether they needed me to begin of my career, they needed me to come in and, you know, be a defender and rebounder. Then when Quinn got here, you know, my role kind of changed into being like, you know, a pick and roll scorer in the low post. And, um, you know, with the NBA changing now, I'm back to being like a defender, rebounder, screen setter. So I think for the most part, I've done a good job of just adjusting my game and um, just being a positive on the court. And um, like I said before, it's a, it's a blessing, you know, to be with one organization and to be, you know, top 10 in scoring. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's something I didn't, I didn't even think about, you know, coming into the NBA or even this year or whatever. I, I didn't think about it, but when it was brought to my attention, you know, I took that moment and kind of took it in like, like, damn, like, <laughs> like, man, I'm top 10 in scoring with one organization. So that's a big accomplishment for me. Can you think of a particular point in the thousands of points that you've gotten that were your favorite or the most memorable? Um, throughout my career here? Um, it's, it's a lot of them. There's so many of them. It's, it's a lot. Um, I think probably one of my favorite moments was um, the playoffs a couple of years ago against OKC. Um, that, I mean, that whole series, you know, that was a, I think that was a big, big point in my career. You know, especially um, game six when I hit that shot to kind of um, win the game four. So I think that was probably the biggest, biggest moment in my career. Last question, Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. And Derek, along those lines, do you feel ownership of the team because you are the longest tenured player here? Yeah, I think I got everybody's respect pretty much. I wouldn't say like ownership of the team, but I think I have um, – a lot of guys respect on the team, just the way that I carry myself, the way I come to work and how I, how I work during practice, during all season, how I um, play during the games, how I never complain about much. I just accept the role and, and play it to the best of my abilities. And I'm always encouraging other guys and, you know, just talking to other guys, whether it's Rudy or, or Donovan or whoever, JC, Joe. I think um, I got a lot of those guys respect and uh, they respect my voice in the locker room. And, um, you know, I think I think it works out for everybody. Do you see guys like Udonis Haslam that, that have done that, made a long career of that? Do you see yourself doing that, kind of playing for a long time? We'll see. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know. We'll see. Um, if it's with one organization, if it's with Utah, you know, there'll be a blessing. If it's with another team, you know, you, you just never know the future. You know, um, right now I'm just trying to help this team win, um, continue to be that presence in the locker room and on the court for everybody. And um, just playing my part. There's Derek Favors moved into 10th in the all-time uh, Jazz leading scorer list. He had seven points, five rebounds, and had a block shot as well. Let's wrap things up with Rudy Gobert. All right, David James, KUTV. Rudy, you're the guy who's most likely to come out and talk defense with us, and I'm curious what you thought of being uh, uh, so dominant on the backboards as a team in this game and also that 19-point third quarter that you allowed Portland, held them to? I really love the way we, I wouldn't say came out, because I think they scored 30 points in the first quarter. But uh, it's almost like we got better throughout the game. You know, our communication got better, our aggressiveness got better. And the most important thing, we we didn't give them uh, any offensive rebound or maybe a few, but for the most part of the game, you know, everyone was, you know, very active and, uh, and the guards did a great job helping us, you know, on a, on a defensive board. John Kuhn, AP. 
Rudy, how how much of the success on on the boards was driven by, I I guess, a lack of success on rebounding against Phoenix? I mean, did did that kind of drive you guys to make that more of a focus coming in against Portland? We do. You know, I mean, uh, every night I think we we kind of put emphasis on it. You know, we know how important it is, but as much as we know, you know, sometimes we know that we have to do just a little extra effort. And uh, whether it's hitting somebody or just going to get the ball or the loose ball, we know that uh, when we really, you know, put the effort uh, and, and also the communication behind it, um, it's a different, you know, different mindset. And I think if we rebound the way we rebounded tonight, we, we win the game against Phoenix, even showing the way we shot, you know, so it's, uh, it says a lot about the way we play in defense. And, uh, you know, it's really uh, something that, uh, you know, is very important for us to know. And going forward, you know, we, we want to keep rebounding every single night. Next up, Chris and Kenny, Jazz TV. Rudy, 23 straight wins on this floor. First of all, that's incredible. What is it about playing here? I mean, I think just, first of all, just the fans, uh, you know, uh, we one of the few, I would say, lucky teams that were able to have fans, uh, you know, uh, the earliest this year. And, uh, you know, even if it's not uh, full, you know, full crowd, uh, just feeling a little presence, you know, uh, uh, some good energy behind us. I really think, you know, it, it helps. And, uh, and obviously, you know, just being at home, uh, you know, being uh, being able to have access to a facility and, and all that, and and just being at home is a is a big advantage for us. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Two plays I wanted to ask you about, Rudy. First, did you block the Dame three kind of at the end of the game? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, second, there was that play where you rebounded over Naz Little and then got the put back, and it seems like you've had a lot of success against kind of smaller lineups recently, and. I'm just kind of curious how you view your role when you are playing against kind of a, a smaller lineup in terms of rebounding and putbacks and, and that. We got to punish them. We got to punish them. You know, teams are uh, in the past, you know, they, they play small against us and, you know, we got to punish them. We got to put the emphasis on, you know, uh, pounding the ball inside when teams play small and attacking the rim and teams should not be able to play small against us. Um, I think we do a great job guarding against small, but uh, especially when we have the ball, we got to punish them. And, you know, I think we did, except the first two minutes, they did it. I think we did a great job tonight. There's Rudy Gobert, 18 points, 21 rebounds. He had a block shot and two assists. Rudy with, uh, of course, uh, his normal Rudy monster game. The Jazz win 122 to 103 over the Portland Trailblazers. Up next, the Jazz take on the Sacramento Kings on Saturday night. Uh, Tip-off will be at 7 o'clock. Pre-game begins at 6. All right, there is the best of the post-game show. We're going to take a break. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines tonight in the NBA. The Jazz get some help in the playoff race. We will get to that. A couple of the the bigs, what, well, I guess three of the top six teams in the West lost last night. So there's, there's that. And uh, also the first round of the Masters in the books. The second one ready to get going. Second round ready to get going. We'll get to all of that next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5. And 1280 The Zone. 
Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Double stagger Pringles with the left hand driving at Cantor gives to Rudy. No one's missing this. Rudy's going high. He's going hard. He's packing with two hands. Mike, he steps at Cantor. Cantor fades back. No good. Rebound battle. Gobert with a nice rebound. Pump fakes out then goes back to the rack and finishes. Rudy Gobert. Flex, Rudy. Flex. Donovan Mitchell has 33 points tonight. Comes to the front court. His meter is running. He drives the left hand into contact, hop the window and in. Donovan working on Powell, five on the clock. Donovan crosses over, step back, long two, tough looks, perfect. The highlights is the Utah Jazz beat the Portland Trailblazers. After a pair of losses, the Jazz get a 122-103 win. PK, we spent a lot of yesterday talking about rebounding. Clearly, we weren't the only ones talking about rebounding. Somebody in the Jazz locker room was talking about it because not only did Rudy have 21 rebounds, but Royce O'Neal had nine and five apiece for Bogey and Mitchell and Favors and Ingles. The Jazz plus 17 on the backboards. Man, they fixed that problem in a hurry. Yeah, they did, and there was a lot of rebounds to be had with Portland shooting under 40% from the floor. So, yeah, and obviously Quinn Snyder addressed it in the post game, and it was obvious. I mean, they gave up way too many. They'll have way too many second chances, and they had 14 offensive rebounds themselves, which was very, very impressive. And Quinn said, if we would have done this like we did, uh, we would have done like we did tonight versus two nights ago, speaking last night, of course, they win that ball game probably. You don't know for sure, but yeah, it was obvious. And so he went after it, and they responded. Jazz were going back-to-back, and the Blazers were rested, and often that starts to show up late third quarter if a team's fatigued. But ironically, the third quarter is when the Jazz blew this game open. They were down 56-53 at the half, and they won the third quarter 40-19. to Absolutely dominated, and it was done. There was no run left for the Blazers. The Jazz cruised to the victory. That third quarter was the best quarter, the most important quarter. It was the winning quarter. Yeah, Portland has to make shots for them to win. I mean, I don't know how much of an inside game they've got. It's basically perimeter, and the two stars go a combined 16 of 42. They were both 8 of 21. That happens. That's what I do every time with Portland. Go right to the McCollum and, and Lillard, and both of them being 8 of 21. Their chances of winning are going to go way up. And freaking Joe Ingles, man. I expect him to show up with full body tats today. I mean, he's taking on Jordan Clarkson's role. 13 <laughs> shots? What a gunner. You wanted more shots. You were disappointed yeah. with a few shots. He took five in the first quarter, four more threes. He missed them all. He, did, he didn't shoot much in the second, if at all. But in the second half, he got it going and got up his 13 shots. Yeah, I think that's great. <laughs> I said it yesterday. There's no way he and Royce O'Neal should be taking the same amount of shots. And what's great, and he was 2 of 8 from 3, which isn't great for him, but it's great that he goes and misses a bunch of shots when they win. Well, for the Jazz, 28.6% from 3. I mean, they didn't really have it going from 3 for the third game in a row. So 
find a different way to win. And if they can shoot 28.6% from three and still beat a playoff team by 19, that's a good thing. And, and I get among the Western contenders, Portland would be the low end of that. Um, but so what? They won by 19 on the second night of a back-to-back. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know that I would put uh, Portland as a contender. They're a playoff team. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, this is they've sort of been running in place with this team now for a number of years, and they're getting the same result. Yep. Well, they do need better play from their big man. It was um, pretty pedestrian. You know, it's, Nurkic had 10 points and six boards, and Cantor came in with eight points and seven boards. Yeah, doesn't doesn't really put the fear in you, and, and Rudy had a big game against him, going 18, 18 Maurice Lucas isn't walking more. through that door, man. Fact. Other big guys, go ahead. Kevin Duckworth isn't walking through that door. Bill Walton isn't walking through that door. Well, I like Bobby Gross because he went to Pedro High. There it is. Huh, on our championship team in 70-something or other. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Achua, angle right side, hands it off to Jimmy Butler. Schroeder up on him, worked around the Achua screen. Little jump shot for Jimmy Butler. That's a 12-footer, and he'll put it up and in. Doncic to the left wing against Connaughton. To the middle of the floor, step out by Lopez to play him on the switch. Luka to his left, but back to his right. Steps back inside the circle, hits the jumper. Porzingis out top, 30-footer, hit it! Yes, he's okay. Played on the second night of back-to-backs. The third time he's done it this year, and he's had three huge games. Bounce past the letter, all the way to the rim. Counted in a foul. It's a right-handed tomahawk jam and a hoop and harm. Kawhi Leonard says good night, Phoenix. Clippers beat the Phoenix Suns 113-103. to They pull away late. 8-0 run in the middle of the fourth quarter. So the Jazz, who gave up a game to the Suns the night before, pick up a game on the Suns and are now two and a half games up in the West once again. Paul George, 33 points for the Clippers as they get the win. And the Jazz, two and a half clear of the Suns, four and a half in front of the Clippers. Exactly yeah, what every Jazz fan Looking back and forth on that game, uh, and then it was uh, a little later. Paul George, eh, he is something. You know, if you were going to put a lineup of people, like a police lineup, but only like an NBA lineup, and you ask somebody, identify someone who's an NBA player, I think they go right to George. You know, he's long, he's athletic, uh, he can really do it all when he gets once he gets going. And I know PG-13 in the postseason has actually been rated X for obscene. But if he ever finds his stroke in the postseason, man, that Clipper team is going to be awfully dangerous. Central Casting, send me an NBA player. I need someone who looks like an NBA player for this uh, movie he? I'm doing. And they just send Paul George over, right? Yeah. He's got, he he's really just, just epitomizes what an long NBA player lean, would look it, like. Not right. everyone can do this, but one thing he really does is like when they're walking out from a timeout, I mean, he just looks athletic. You just right, look he at does. he just walks like an athlete. He looks the part. He totally looks the part. And yeah. it just comes back to what PK says. He's just got to do it in the playoffs. Because in the regular season, you know he can drop 33 on you. Right. Which right. he did. He beat the Lakers 110-104. The Lakers were hanging in there watching that score. I wasn't watching the game, but I was kind of watching the score as the Jazz game progressed. And 
the Lakers were leading or down by a bucket, and then uh, closing time, they don't have their stars to seal the deal at the end of the game, and the Heat win it. Closing time. One last call for Jimmy Butler to score 28 points and win the game. And he got it done. And the Mavericks are just all over the map. They looked really good beating the Jazz, the best team in the league, and then they looked horrific losing to the Rockets, who are one of the two worst teams in the league. They get the Bucks on the schedule, and they come back and win by 15. Luka Doncic, 27-9-9, just the kind of stuff you expect him to crank out every game. Porzingis, who was sitting against the Jazz, was supposed to be out for a while, wasn't out that long. And he had 26 points, 17 rebounds. You heard him there in the, in the highlights, so... Mavericks, good win, really bad loss, really good win. So go figure those guys out. Uh, Raptors guard Fred Van Vliet, DeAndre Bembry, Lakers guard Taylor Horton Tucker been suspended one game each without pay for leaving the bench during an all-on-court altercation with the Lakers. That was where uh, Schroeder committed the foul and Ananubi turned him upside down and Montrez Harrell got fined because he was the third man in. Don't leave the bench, PK. Oh, the Raptors, they're going to have to be out with uh, without DeAndre Bemfrey, is it? Bemfrey, yeah. yeah. Never heard of him. <laughs> DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. I think Washington is, is going to be the next team to unload all their picks to try to get a quarterback. I think they love Lance. I think Washington, I don't think, I know Washington loves Lance. And so, will they trade up to get Lance? That becomes remains to be seen. That's Trey Lance, the quarterback from North Dakota. Um, reading one of the mock drafts on him. In terms of physical tools, Trey Lance is the quarterback you build in the lab. He has Patrick Mahomes' arm. Josh Allen's athleticism. Oh, geez. Wow. Building them up, PK. We've seen players come out of the FC level and be good, so he could be. It's hard to know. Well, that would be... W-F-T-L-L. We love Lance. Washington <laughs> football team love Lance. Apparently they do. We'll see if they make the deal and, and move up. Uh, the Watson update. His attorney is uh, wants emergency hearings on all the civil lawsuits. Wants the judge to uh, tell the other lawyer to identify all the women who filed suits. Wants to move this along because it's just a daily dose of bad PR for him and the legal system can move pretty slowly, so trying to move all that up. Well, the thing that I'm not sure is that uh, his attorney is acting like these ladies are anonymous. But wouldn't Watson, who's contacted apparently some of them, wouldn't he know who they are? How many of them? Was it 100 of them? Because you went there. So wouldn't you know already? Currently. Wouldn't you know who they are? So are they really anonymous? They're anonymous to us, but are they anonymous to you? Because you went there. Yeah, I don't know if he, you know, if they want to contact them and depose them and all that kind of stuff. Does he know all of their names and match their names to the suits and have phone numbers for all of them? I don't know. I don't oh, know over so what period. So you have period. their names on the right and their and the suits on the left, and, and you got to match it up game? like you did in those math yeah. tests when you were. Oh, if the triangle, the isosceles triangle. Uh Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Well, Duolingo has that for trying to learn Spanish or Uh any language, for that matter of fact. So they got the Spanish words on the left and the the English words on the right, and you have to match them. It's kind of cool that way. I always thought that put a lot of pressure on me. 
I get the cold sweats. Former NFL player Philip Adams fatally shot five people. A prominent doctor, his wife, their two grandchildren. He later killed himself. Uh, authorities have not determined a motive for the, the mass shooting that took place on Wednesday. He played in 78 NFL games, six seasons, six teams. Patriots, Seahawks, Raiders, Jets, Falcons. Um, he was actually drafted by the Niners. That's where it all started. So this is a horrific story, PK. Way more questions than answers. Yep. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Mike Trout, high drive, deep left center field. Mike Trout, again. The pitch, he struck him out. Check swing, Benintendi slams the bat, then the helmet down. Lynn's got 10 strikeouts. Now the one-two pitch, breaking ball in there, strike three call. It hit him. And they're saying it nicked him on the arm. The game is over. It was called a strike initially, but then it was ruled that the ball hit Conforto. Michael gets to first base. The Mets are pounding on him. And in a very unusual scene, Don Mattingly is saying, hold the phone. We want to check this out. Meanwhile, the Mets are celebrating a 3-2 to two win. All right, there are a lot of highlights, a lot of games, but the two big stories of the day, is it cheating? Is it just baseball? Is it okay? The Mets beat the Marlins on the walk-off hit-by-pitch. The umpire, Ron Culpa, started to go for strike three. That's why you heard the strike three call. Changed his call, said the pitch hit him, so that forces in the winning run. But then later he comes out and says he blew it. He should have called strike three. It's not reviewable. So Don Mattingly can be as mad as he wants, but they're not reviewing it. Although, if you look at the video, clearly the arm, the elbow, goes into the strike zone. And then there was even a bait. It didn't really hit him. It more hit his protective equipment because these guys wear stuff to protect their elbow. And so, PK, cheating, brutal call. What should baseball justice look like? More replay? Well, I don't understand the replay. Who, who decided this? Has Moses come down? <laughs> uh, pitches that are strikes in which you get hit are not revealable, thus saith. I mean, if you're going to have the replay, hi, the re- replay. Now, Ron Darling is the Mets broadcaster. He's a former pitcher, obviously. He does uh, the postseason with Turner. He's their own Mets guy saying they've got to review that and they're going to call it strike three. Own Mets guy saying that because clearly what it was, but then they can't review it. Who decides whether what the heck you can review or not? Does baseball what, have what a c- competition committee like the NFL does? I would assume it's I mean, whatever that is. doesn't make any sense or when you can review it and... Either you have the replay or you don't. Conforto clearly put his elbow out there, and he didn't have to worry because he's got a bunch of padding, and he's looking at the pitcher saying, hey, kiss my elbow. I mean, come on. Major League Baseball is investigating the Dodgers' Trevor Bauer. Umpires collected multiple balls he threw during his start against Oakland earlier this week. They had visible markings. They were sticky. They were sent to the league office for further inspection. Even if the ball is found to have foreign substance, it's uncertain if they can prove Bauer did it and if any potential punishment imposed by the commissioner would stand. So you go public with this and kind of put them on notice. We're going to be watching you. We think you did it. We can't prove it, but we think you did it or you had someone do it. Tom Brady, have someone under-inflate the football, that kind of deal. 
some ball boy or something is back there. This reminds me of the NCAA. We have to give these players money. We already are. And this is, well, so-and-so over here is cheating, and so we're going to penalize them to show we're tough on cheating. Meanwhile, there's a hundred other cases of cheating over here going on. I mean, this has been going on forever, and I don't know that it's ever going to stop. And so we're outraged over Barry Bonds or whomever we might be outraged over. But over here, oh, well, it's just gamesmanship. And maybe we give them a few games if we catch them or eject them, blah, blah, blah. I just, I don't understand it. DJ and PK. I was never really in an offensive mindset out there today. And uh, even when, when things were rolling for me, you, I was still playing very conservative golf out there. I kind of knew the type of challenge that today was. And it was more of a day of trying not to lose it than, than feel like, you know, that, that, that kind of score was on out there, to be honest with you. But was, things just started going my way. I mean, my putter was hot today. I was reading the greens unbelievably well. And uh, I hit the right shots at the right time. There are a couple of pin placements that were gettable. I was able to take advantage of those ones. But other than that, it was just sort of... Um, yeah, that hot blade, I suppose, was, was was what got me going. Golf. A hot blade, PK. He was two over after seven. He got an eagle at eight. Birdie nine and ten. Birdie 12 and 13. Birdie 15, 16, and 17. On fire coming home. So he's got a four-shot yeah. lead. And he's really the only guy who went against what Bob Casper told us yesterday. Bob said the conditions, you know, the greens are brown. It's stressed. They're really fast. They're expecting thunderstorms. So they're kind of planning in advance of those. It's going to be hard to get two or three. You guys are going to be at two and three under. Those are going to be the best scores. And it's true for everyone except Justin Rose. So the greens are brown, you say? Yeah. All the greens are brown. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Brian Harmon, Hideki Matsuyami at three under. You got a group of four golfers at two under, including Patrick Reed, who you drafted, PK, with his very last pick. And then, I went for a walk <laughs> on the master's grounds. I'd be safe and warm <laughs> if I shot seven under par. It's only a half under Green dozen, jacket, yeah. green dreaming <laughs> on such a spring day. Half a dozen guys at one under, including Jordan Spieth, who I picked. Bob Xander Shoffley is in the group at even par. I sort of like that. All the greens are brown. All right, DJ PK, we will talk Masters. Get a second round update. Brian Taylor will be joining us at 9 o'clock. We'll let some more guys uh, get started. The first groups are going out. They are starting second round play right now. And uh, Mackenzie Hughes with a birdie, so he's two under now. He's already picking up speed. We'll talk with uh, Brian at 9 o'clock. David Locke, radio voice of the jazz, is going to join us next. Joe Ingles is here around 835. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
Sam Amick with us from The Athletic, working on the free agency files, who's going to possibly be out there. Somebody on your list is Mike Conley. What kind of market might await him if he chooses to test it? Mike has made it real clear he wants to resign in Utah. The Jazz have a chance here with Mike to have, I think, a run at title contention for the next several years. It would seemingly be a no-brainer, but signing Mike to a big-time deal is going to put them deep into the luxury tax. That's the only if to me. I'm not hearing any noise as of yet about Mike looking at greener pastures. But that being said, it's free agency. The way he's shooting the ball, the way he's still showing that he can play at a high level, I think Mike certainly is going to get plenty of attention. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, time for Hot Takes or Toast. Brought to you by Jerry Signer Cadillac. Check out the bold new lineup at Jerry Signer Cadillac. It's definitely not your grandpa's Cadillac. So the Utah Jazz... On the back end of a back-to-back, beat Portland by 19 points. Not what anyone predicted. We hit the uh, Facebook page and Twitter yesterday, and lots of Jazz fans weighed in, and a lot of people had a lot to say, and nobody said, you know, it's going to be okay because they're going to beat Portland by 19 tonight. Literally no one put that up there. So, question of the day, how could you not be impressed with the way our Jazz hammered Portland on the second night of a back-to-back? PK, you're channeling Ted Leitner now. I don't know who Ted Leitner is. Oh, he's a uh, sportscaster in San Diego when I was growing up. Actually, he just retired as the Padre announcer. He had a bunch of different jobs. But he always used to say, when they used to do scoreboards on TV sportscasts before tickers, it would say, my Padres when they won, and it would say, your Padres when they lost. Our? eh, Kind of the same thing here. They're ours now. They're yours when they lose two in a row. Tony Gwynn Jr. does the radio commentary, and it is shocking how much he sounds like his father. It's just unbelievable. Close, close your eyes and you think it was senior. Tony Jr. sounds so much like him. It's incredible. It's amazing. But uh, sure, yeah. I mean, that's we're speaking to the crowd where they are. They are their fans, and their fans are part of the team, the way they get into it. And there's so many of them who are into it. I keep hearing and reading, oh, well, you know, the NCAA game had – 15 million people watch it. It's almost double what the NBA Finals had. And see, politics is taking a bite out of it. And I'm sure that's true to some extent. But not so much in our community when they're good. As I would think it's just about in any community. I don't know that our community is that different. There may be more connection because it is uh, the big time here. And we don't have a lot of big time in that way. But, yeah, the fans, they want to say our, us, and we, and all, just like Locke does. And away they go. They are into it big time, and we're in a home stretch of the season. So, yeah, when they win, it is our. When they lose, it's you guys suck. (laughs) Tony says, our Jazz? Dang right, PK. This was a character check to see if they could come back after a physical and emotional loss. And I'd say they passed with flying colors. Well, they did, yeah. (laughs) Sure. If you want to go a character test, I'm fine with that. Uh, they had some work to do here, and things got tight. And they're thinking, Portland, oh, well, pretty much we wanted to write it off. And I don't want to write it off. But if you're going to write it off, then just play a bunch of those guys uh, at the end of the bench and sit your guys if you don't think you got a chance. But that's not the way they approached it. And they looked like they had energy. They didn't run out in the third quarter or fourth quarter or whatever. And why shouldn't they? Uh, be mentally tough, and they were. So they deserve the praise that they're getting. It was a very impressive win. 
They basically won going away. What more can you want from that? Well, you can't want any more from that game. I assume fans want wins over Dallas and or Phoenix. I mean, three in a row always seemed like too much. You, you mean, you've already won nine in a row, and the next uh, four you're going to be favored in. Are you really going to rattle off 16 straight? That happens very rarely in the NBA. Probably someone was going to get you in this streak, and it turned out you lost two. And the Suns got you in overtime. Well, by definition, overtime means it can go either way. Todd says, we did it without the sixth man of the year. Impressive! With three exclamation points. Todd's all sorts of fired up. Yellow shorts over there on the sideline, man. (laughs) That's pretty loud. Yeah, Yeah, they're a deep team, and they ought to be able to... they ought to be able to get get through it without one guy. Uh, yeah, and Conley came in and played. Normally doesn't play, but clearly they were on some level of minutes restriction, I guess, because uh, he only played like 22 minutes, I think it was. Uh, and Joe upped his minutes into the 30s. So he took over, got a lot more playing time on that. And sure, yeah, Clarkson didn't play, but... You know, to me, uh, Gobert and Mitchell, those, those are the guys that I'm going to get the most worked up about by not playing, obviously, particularly Gobert. Well, Favors continues in very limited role, do what they ask him to do. I'm not sure there's a guy in the league who understands and executes his role better than what Derek Favors does. And he, When he signed on, he knew exactly what it was about because he'd been here for nine years, and they knew, everybody knew. And here we are, deep in the season, and he's given them exactly what they're supposed, what he, he's supposed to give them, and what they've expected. So you gotta like that. I mean, the the point of signing him was to do exactly what he's doing, and so he plays his role just the way they want. And there's no confusion. He never steps outside. We don't have to worry about favors from the corner anymore. That never was going to work, and he doesn't do it. <laughs> so, and that's good. So, still, if Gobert were to go down, it would be a major blow. Uh, and, and the other guys on a game-by-game basis, you should be able to withstand them. Mione can slide in and play a few minutes, and he gave him 16 minutes. So, between him and Joe picking up some more minutes, they had it, and they had it covered. It wasn't, as yeah. it wasn't really an issue. Right. Uh, more people weighing in here. Randy said they look good. More hustle tonight. Rudy was physical. He showed what they are capable of. Yeah, I thought Rudy was physical against the Suns too. But and he's been uh, he's found a level of consistency. Uh, I think, as uh, Quinn Snyder said, it was the other guys being more aggressive, making sure they got it covered. Now Portland's not that big of a team, and a lot of times they were going small too. So I think that allowed them to be able to get the amount of rebounds that they That's, got too. But but you got to credit them for getting them. That was great in the post game when Rudy was asked about playing the small lineups, and he basically interrupts the question. He said, "We have to punish them. We have to punish them." He said, "Punish well, yeah, them like take four or five yeah, times." I totally in the agree. Answer. Yeah. If you're going to do that, here's what we're going to do to uh, take advantage of that. Time now to talk with the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke, brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. You know, they went. They didn't go small because they thought it was a strategic advantage. They went small because their other choice was so at that time was doing so poorly that they might as well try something. 
They didn't have answers, did they? No, I mean, Nurkic was on a minute restriction and got in foul trouble, and then I think in Cantor's first 17 minutes, he was minus 18, or I might be slightly wrong, he might have been minus 17 in his first 18 minutes, regardless, or as some great philosopher once said, irregardless. Um, it doesn't, you know, that that was not working for them. So Terry didn't have a lot of choices, so he went with a, he went small. I thought it was actually a pretty creative answer, and it certainly didn't work. What was the difference in the rebounding from Phoenix to Portland? Was it a mindset or exactly what? I think it was two things. The mindset was was to put a body on someone rather than to jump with them. It wasn't as though, you know, it's worth noting that in Phoenix, it wasn't as though we, we didn't have guys there, right? It wasn't like they were grabbing rebounds going back up and in. They were playing tip balls, and then they were getting the tip balls. So that gets to then a little bit of a question of whether it was personnel. Um, you know, everyone's so stunned that DeAndre Ayton had an impact on the game. He was the first pick of a draft that got drafted in front of Jaron Jackson Jr., Luka Doncic, and Trey Young. Uh, and some, and another, and Marvin Bagley, but, you know, okay. Um, and so I think that you have to remember that this kid's seven feet tall and was the number one pick of the draft, and maybe it wasn't the right pick, but it wasn't like he was some scrub. Um, so he's pretty incredibly talented guy and the, you know, Portland didn't have that personnel in the middle at seven, one tipping the ball and making plays. So two parts, one, I do think there was a concerted effort to go get the rebound and there was a concerted effort to not try to jump with people, but to put some body on the legs of people and then, and then get the rebound. Um, but I would also, I would also say, I think there was, um, you know, a personnel difference of what you were going up against. So I thought last night was super impressive, though. Uh, we've got to start seeing some real duds out of teams uh, as we head down the stretch here. I, I'm going to be really surprised. Like, when you look at the right-hand column of standings, you know, it says 9-1, and 8-2. and two. I, I don't think we're going to be seeing that the rest of the way. I think we're going to see... Seven and three and six and four, somewhat universally across the board. The amount of games everyone's playing now and in the schedule, um, I just don't think people can be sharp. And so I thought last night was one three games, four nights, three games, you know, three straight on the road, where I really, or you know, three different locations where I, I just really thought that was not a script um, to go grab one. And the fact that they not only grabbed it, but while not having a perfect night, dominated, I thought was really impressive last night. So I thought that was one of the things, and we've talked about that. They didn't shoot the three well again, under 30% again, and yet they won by 19. So the good news is, hey, if you can win other ways, if you've got multiple ways to win, that's great. How much does the three-point shooting concern you? Uh, how much is it them, and how much is it teams defending them differently and deciding you're just not going to beat us with a three? And we're seeing more guys driving and finishing at the rim. Yeah, I don't think teams can really decide that. Um, I believe fundamentally that defenses can dictate how many shots you get at the rim. But I'm not entirely sure that defenses can totally dictate how many threes you're going to get. Um, we are seeing teams obviously respect the three-point shooting and hug the three-point shooting, so that should open up the lane for more drives. And we are seeing teams you know, try to prevent Rudy from getting six, seven dunks in a game, which you know, we don't think much of. I think you know it's 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 not a crossover dribble pull up for two, but like uh, I'd love to go look at our win percentage based on the amount of dunks Rudy has in a game. Like 
you go get five freebies a night, I don't think you lose. Like mathematically, it changes the game as dramatically as hitting three. So, um, you know, th- those are what the two t- what teams are trying to do. So now you, we've got guys who are beginning to adapt, and this roster is built far differently than the rosters we've had in the past. That we have players that can do that. So when you watch the uh, the Jazz and the Blazers go at it here and you throw up that number about the lobs, it sounds to me like you're making that first cousin to that thing you told us about the turnovers above the break. When you turn the ball over, you know, beyond the top of the key, and it's just an easy one-on-none layup or dunk for somebody, if you have uh, four or five of those a game, you're done. Well, that's why they lost to Phoenix. It's not like I know we talked about the rebounding, and that's certainly a part of it, and we can talk about three-point shooting. The reason we lost to Phoenix is Phoenix was in transition for 18% of their possessions, and Devin Booker got seven layups in transition last night. You know, I mean, that that was the game. Like, all these other things were cute. Like, their second-chance points for the amount of offensive rebounds they got was not astronomical. In fact, the Jazz did a really good job of defending after giving up the offensive rebounds. But the reason they lost to Phoenix was because they either committed turnovers or did a just an occasional one or two possessions, which is awful of getting back in transition defense. And then Chris Paul is brilliant. Chris Paul, you know, was able to play and push ahead to Devin Booker and make plays um, that were, that were outstanding. And so he deserves credit for being that outstanding. Um, You know, it's not always because of us. The other guys are pretty good too. Yeah, absolutely. And that game generated a lot of talk among national media and radio shows. And so I'm trying to listen as much as I can to try to get some different viewpoints into my mind and you speak of the uh, reason why they lost. And I forget, I listened to so I'm many I'm so different... curious, BK. I really want to know. You know the game really, really well. Me? Yeah. You know our team better than anyone you're going to listen to. So I'm just curious, who do you listen to? Well, I just go around. I've got the okay. satellite radio on my radio, NBA radio, and they bring people out there. Then I'll flick around. I've listened to the Phoenix radio because I knew they'd be gloating. Uh, and I listened to you the you day before. You were Phoenix radio, and I was on. How did that happen? Yeah, I was, yeah that was funny. <laughs> uh, they brought you on, and I was, and I happened to be listening, and you were lighting up Ryan Hatch, uh, and I texted him that you were lighting him up, and uh, he said he was <laughs> in a meeting. He said he was in a meeting, so he'd go and check it out. Well, one of the things, and of course, and I, and of course I thought, he, oh, he claimed he was in a meeting. Like, what do you think? What do you think it was the thirteenth or the? 14th? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was a meeting at the fourteenth tee. I don't know. Ryan Hatch, I'm in a meeting. I'm an executive. I'm important. Come on. Don't BFF. We know you. all the time. I'm sure he didn't love one of the stories I told. I'm sorry that you told him. Uh, Well, I figured I had to. So it was funny. And so he's – I haven't heard if he went back and got it because he said he was busy at the time. But there was one – and I can't remember who said it, which – what I was listening to. Uh, but I thought, oh, that's going to be a question on Friday for sure. And it was, and I figured because it would draw a bunch of emotion from you. And it was the point they were making was that the Jazz are so reliant on analytics that they felt, the commentator felt that this game, the analytics blew it for them because you talk about hug the three-point shooters and the Suns aren't particularly a good three-point shooting team. And so they shot only 32% from the three because the Jazz were determined to take it away. But Chris Paul and Devin Booker, who aren't 
statistically good three-point shooters, or I think Paul had made three that game, but Booker was over six, that they they blew it because they should be more worried about the two-point shots because that plays to the Suns' strength. And so what do you think about that as far as trying to eliminate the possibility of many threes, but in the process do you give up more twos than you normally would? So I'm not entirely – so if I, you made a little twist there at the end that confused me. Um, if I interpret what you're saying right, that basically someone tried to claim that Booker and Chris Paul's two-point game outdid the Jazz three-point game that night, um, if that was this person's assessment, um, and this is a risky thing to say without knowing who we're talking about, um, I, I would remember, say, no. good, because I'm about to torch them. Um, I would say that I wouldn't, I would forever after be cautious of anything I hear from them because they take the easy answer that sounds really intellectual without doing any research on it. Um, and so I would be cautious of what I hear from them. Uh, Phoenix, Devin, Jazz did a brilliant job on Devin Booker and Chris Paul's two-point game. Chris Paul and Devin Booker are great at that. They're the best in the league. Phoenix shoots 51% on twos. But the fact was that in the half-court offense, Phoenix, I think, averaged like 0.84 points per possession that night, more like the 14th percentile. So that little, the mid-range game that they're playing in and of itself did not cause the problem and work that well. What caused the problem was... One, what I already mentioned, was that they got out in transition in almost 20% of their possessions, which is just way too many. Um, and then two, you know, when Gobert moved forward to deal with the mid-range shot, then DeAndre Ayton at 7-1 was big enough to keep balls alive and, um, and keep offensive rebounds going for Phoenix. In regards to the Jazz, you know, lack of three-point shooting, they, I mean, that's a fact, that's a fact, and... Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, there are three data points that have me a little concerned with the Jazz three-point shooting, and it's probably something I'll research this weekend. They've taken almost 100 threes against New York, Miami, and Phoenix, and they're shot very poorly in every game against those three teams. So it feels like it's not a huge data selection, but it feels like that's a little bit more than a coincidence that they've played New York twice and shot 30% both times, that they played Miami twice and I think shot 30% both times, and that they played Phoenix twice and played 30% both times. Now, New York is Thibodeau's defense and the second-best defensive team in the league. Miami and Phoenix are really similar defensively. They they shift a great deal. They're long on the wings. Um, they have pretty good, generally, you know, defensive toughness. They're physical. So... The, it's worth going to watch those threes. Like Dallas, we just missed shots. Like I'm just not – I've watched that, I watched all of them. We just missed shots. Um, and the next time we play Dallas, we'll shoot 45% from three um, and, and kill them. Uh, but those three teams, it's a little disconcerting to me that there's two games in a row where you don't shoot well against the same team. It seems like that's a little bit more than just make or miss leak. Did I answer that question at all? Okay, yeah. So since you bring up Dallas and going back to missing the shots and losing that game, Dallas looks great against the Jazz. Horrific in the loss to Houston. Luka Doncic 
just you know punching the chair and throwing the water bottle in disgust when he's sitting in the huddle and just throwing it on the ground. But then they bounce back and they beat Milwaukee. Is that what you're talking about, about too many games to be good all the time? Because that makes no sense. You beat two of the top ten teams in the league and you lose to one of the two worst teams in the league. Is that just yeah, I mean, too many games? Worth noting it's a Giannis, Giannis-less Milwaukee on the back end of a lengthy road trip. Um, so I'm not sure Milwaukee had a chance last night. Uh, I think wasn't that their sixth game of a road trip? Uh, I think you're right about that. And, and I yeah, get without, that point, but Giannis. they're still better yeah, than no, I, Houston. Um, I do think Houston, actually, I watched Houston play Phoenix. Um, I think we have one or two left with Houston. We better be careful. It was the only thing I'd say. Um, they're not awful right now. Like, in fact, um, and I was on with Ben Golliver this week on our, our Thursday conversation for Locked on NBA. Um, we discussed it actually on two of the trades that were made this year that maybe the players that were traded and got all the headlines were wrong. So, like, I think there's a chance he brought up this one. There's a chance that Kelly Olynyk's actually better than Victor Oladipo at this point. And I'm not actually entirely convinced that Wendell Carter doesn't help you win just as much as Nikola Vucevic. Like, so Houston actually getting rid of Oladipo, he's so inefficient right now. Um, and his leg's so, you know, not right. I think there's a chance that the Linux actually a better player for them. So, I mean, they look, they actually, Houston, Houston doesn't look like the team that lost 20 in a row. They, like I've watched happen to, you know, we've played teams have played them recently, so I've watched them. So just a note on that. Um, but, yeah, I think that is what I'm talking about. Um, I also just think that, like, from a Dallas standpoint, I had the exact same reaction you did, David. Like, how is that possible? Like, mm-hmm. you just feel like watching them against us and Luca's dominance that, that you just wouldn't want to see them in a seven-game series and they're ready to go and here they are. And then they add Chris Dapps and he has a massive fourth quarter last night. And they just feel like they're loaded. I do think they'll finish as a six-seed. I do think they'll catch Portland. Um, but that also might be recency bias that we just watched Portland not look good and watched um, Dallas look really good. The, the other one that's just hard for us, frankly, is that Rudy Rudy is such a force on the game that our experience watching teams is so different than everybody else's that you really have to go you know, evaluate Dallas and evaluate Portland by watching them play a normal team because Rudy just changes the game so much. There's nothing about playing us that I think gives me a good impression. Like, I think Nikola Vucevic is not very good because he just is awful against Rudy. And so that, you know, they've won three in a row. I need to probably go back and watch Chicago win last night and see how good he was to understand that when there isn't the greatest defensive player in the world defending him, that he actually is pretty good. Well, David, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for hopping on with us. And uh, Joe Ingles will be along to entertain in about 45 minutes. So, you know, gear up for well, that. I hope, I, hope, I hope Joe is well. I was actually going to drop him an email today since that's our correspondence level. So I'll do that now. And I'm sure he'll be uplifted by my thoughts um, <laughs> by the time he gets to you. All right. Thank you, David. <laughs> See you later. DJ and PK. Stay with us. Got a uh, Masters update with Brian Taylor from Real Golf Radio coming up at 9.05. And Joe Ingles is coming up in about 45 minutes right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Number one. Make us your number one preset. 
The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Get your foursome together today and sign up for the Dyslexia Center of Utah Charity Golf Tournament. Join the fun May 13th at Cedar Hills Golf Course. 100% of the proceeds go to the Dyslexia Center Scholarship Fund. Space is limited. Find out more at dyslexiacenterofutah.org. Well, PK, the second round of the Masters is on the way, underway. Justin Rose, the first-round leader. Everybody else shooting 69 or 70 at best, and he goes low with a 7-under 65. He's got a four-shot lead as the second round starts. Tee shot at number one. Going right. He's looking concerned. The ball's bouncing in some trees. You're not sure where it is over there. He ends up making bogey on the hole. You got a gut feeling? Is he coming back to the pack real quick? He's dropped a shot here on the first hole today. Well, it only matters is if he wins. So, no, I don't think he's going to win. So keep our eye on everybody else. Well, Hide- not everybody else, but... Uh, Hideki Matsuyama going out at 11 o'clock. Still a lot of golf to be played, obviously. Yeah. Uh, the, you can only lose it on Thursday. You can't win it on Thursday. Uh, and Rose is over 40 now. So and then you can have a 20-some-year career and be competitive and make money. Uh, and occasionally win, but are you going to win this one? You know, we keep going back to 86 when Jack was 46 years old. Okay, two words here, Jack Nicklaus. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> you know, so he did special things for so long that, you know, you to comp- and you hear it a lot when the older guys uh, are competing. It's not to say a 41-year-old cannot win. Because it's not like you're completely and totally over the hill. I just don't get caught up, no matter who it is, on a Thursday and say, wow, he is the front runner all the way. Now, if it's tomorrow morning and we're listening to Bob and Brian and Real Golf Radio and they're talking about somebody who has a four or five shot lead, that's a different story. But the first day, I'm just, I'm impressed. But I'm not uh, going to take it beyond being impressed. If you string together two of those, then that's a huge, huge difference. And we always hear, if an, and I want to emphasize that 41, I'm not saying it's that old. But we always go back to anyone who's a little older and refer it to Jack. If it would have been somebody, like uh, even like a Freddie Couples, say, you know, a nice player on the tour we know his name we've known his name for years i think he freddie's like 60 61 years old now but if he would have won it it would have seemed like all right that's a little more doable because he's just your average great golfer if that makes sense right whereas jack he wasn't your average great golfer he was the ultimate golfer for many many years so you would go back to that one so i have to see i don't discount rose being able to do it but I don't think he will because I generally think that no matter who it is on Thursday, that somebody's probably not going to go wire to wire. And we'll see because this matters so much to these guys. That's why it's so fun to watch as a fan because it really does matter. We talked about this yesterday, I think it was, to where you see guys literally can't speak when they win. 
Well, they don't do that on the John Deere. They <laughs> do it on these types of tournaments. Dustin Johnson could not speak. He he couldn't literally couldn't speak because it's the Masters. It means so much, and with that brings all sorts of elements into play. So under the theory you can lose it on Thursday, but you can't win it, a theory that has been offered up many, many times over the years and has really been proven true in large part. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau uh, went four over, and so right, right. so did um, uh, Rory McIlroy. So I'm putting them two on of my the, picks. I'm putting them on the can't win list, but at plus two, would you put Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka? Well, I would put Kepka on there because of the surgery that mm-hmm. he's had and been away from the game. But Dustin, no, I would not put him on the can't win list. Now, you got to make a little bit of a move. You don't have to make it all the way back when you have 54 to go, but you've got to make a move. And so that's why certainly across the board we'll know more tonight. If Justin Rose is coming back to the pack, then the guys at two over are five shots off the quote-unquote new lead once, you know, Justin puts some bogeys together and comes back to the pack. I mean, you're, you're nine shots back, but you're only five shots back at second place. So if the top guy's backing up, maybe that gives you a shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, DJ and PK, we'll take a break. When we come back, the Utah Jazz with the victory, the win, the losing streak. Stops at two, and now here comes Sacramento. Here comes a, a string of beatable teams, and we will get to that next. Joe Ingles coming up at about 8.35 right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. When you get the carpets and tile clean, it's not just clean. It's Zero Res clean. And don't have it any other way. $33 per room, carpet or tile, April only. You deserve the best. You deserve Zero Res. Schedule with Zero Res today. Call them at 801-288-9376. Or schedule online by searching for Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. So true, Dave. So true. You've lived it. You've had Zero Res in your house. (laughs) You know how I love to come up with comparisons? Yes, you do. I was just thinking about this. We don't have to spend the whole time on this, obviously. But I just saw that oh, Shohei Itani's got a blister, so it's going to delay his start till next week or whenever uh-huh. as a pitcher for the Angels. How about this comparison? Shohei Otani, Zion Williamson. That's not bad. I see where you're going. They're on the, on the surface, there's a lot of differences. What they have in common is they're unusual there's a curiosity to them that gives them a certain celebrity or star power, and you can't draw a straight line from that to winning. But you think down the line you might be able to. You can't right now. It's not debatable. But down the line you might be able to. And there's a curiosity to that that's like, I normally wouldn't stop and watch this team, but I think I'm going to because of this one person. Yes, yes, and they've had their moments. Yep. If Shohei Otani could stay healthy, and I think everybody has their doubts about that, it's not one thing, it's another, but if he could stay healthy, he does seem to throw at an elite level. He can hit at an elite level. This is a freakishly unusual combination. But if he can't stay healthy, it's not going to matter. And the same with Zion, a freakishly unusual combination of Mm -hmm. power and strength and all that stuff. Quickness, size. So that's, that's my today's... Daily comparison. I like it. <laughs> I like it. It had not even remotely occurred to me. When you said that, I was like, where is he headed? But that's a good one. 
That is a good one right there. And speaking of good ones, I suspect Jazz fans approved of that game last night. I think that if you were watching, the third quarter was your favorite quarter. <laughs> 40 to 19, they just blew the Blazers off the floor. Now, the thing about this stretch is, you know, in a, in a, in a stretch where they're on both sides of this three game stretch with the Mavericks, the Suns, and the Blazers, the Jazz are seeing the bottom to the middle of the league. And when they do see an elite team like the Nets, they're missing their star guys. So this was the three-game test. Now, schedule-wise, this was the hardest game. It's the third game in the third different city. You had a bunch of flights. You're coming off an OT game. So in that regard, it's the, it's the hardest. But of the three teams, who do you least trust to win a playoff series? Now, Dallas and Phoenix could play each other, but just in the abstract – if you were a Jazz fan, having watched the Jazz handle the Blazers easily in Portland in the opener, having watched last night, to Jazz fans, and maybe it's a matchup issue, it might be different for another team, but for the Jazz, aren't they the easiest of the three? Have you had to see one in the postseason? And all three of them could go to the other side of the bracket. But wouldn't you pick the Blazers? I can't believe you're hesitating on this. You are, you are crossing me up, PK, because of the lack of size inside. And I've said they got to get Nurkic back. And you're like, Psh, he's not all that. And he's not. But I thought last night was a great example of even if he's not all that, he's better than anything else they have. And we oh, had, for sure. We, we yeah. had lock on and say, that yeah. That doesn't say much. <laughs> I get it's a low he's bar. It's okay. It's a low bar, right? But I think that's why the Jazz are like, hey, this is – it's going to be hard for them to protect the rim unless they do it with numbers, in which case we're going to get a bunch of wide-open shots. So they attack the rim. Donovan Mitchell, I thought, did a great job of getting to the rim over and over. But I don't think Nurkic is going to get in the way of that. No, I right, I agree. Me, the thing that, I, that I've uh, come to the conclusion as I analyze these three ball games, and they are all three uh, playoff teams most likely, Certainly the Suns, they'd really have to fall off not to get there. And the other two wouldn't have to fall off as much, and I don't think they are going to fall off as much, so that's three playoff teams. The thing that has come to mind, and I'm going to put the Nets aside because they just have not been together hardly at all to make any form of evaluation. We know on paper what they've got. And then, and then that means you're in the finals if you play them anyway. So that's that's great either way. Win or lose for the Jazz, getting to the finals this year would be a smashing success. Obviously, winning it would be over-the-top success. But just getting to the finals would be incredible. The thing that has come to mind, and I, and I, I have a little bit of a caveat with the Lakers too, that the Jazz, if they play the way they're capable of playing, I don't believe... I put the Lakers off to the side to an extent, too. The Nets I put way off to the side. I don't believe that there's a team that can beat them four times in the postseason if they are on their game. It's like what I said with Dustin Johnson. If Dustin Johnson's on his game, I don't care what anybody Mm. else is doing. Yeah, but I I like that better for golf because there's no defense in golf. You know, if the Jazz are off their game against the Clippers, is it because the Jazz are off their game, or is it because the Clippers' length defensively, the intensity of the playoffs, combined with that athleticism and playoff experience, is just too much for them to handle? I don't think so. Not to me. I have seen enough to know 
with M- Mitchell, he's as good as anybody the Clippers have. We don't want to anoint him yet because he's 24 and he's ours and it's too good to be true. Uh, <laughs> Those are good reasons. There's one yeah. other, and this is why and the rest of the country won't an- anoint him, is he hasn't done it yet. But yet he has. In, in, in the first round, he did it tremendously. But I, but I get it. It's, uh, it's first round. It was bubble, blah, blah, blah. That's me in my faith in Mitchell. I think he's incredible. I think he's going to the Hall of Fame. And uh, he's capable of achieving great, great things in this league. I really believe in his talent. I, I, I can't say enough about that. I have no doubt about him being – I believe he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. To me, you just look at it, and that's what I see. I just think that the, the, one of the things that – maybe it solidified what I sort of thought. I, I still think and – and I could be wrong – and that's not to say they'll be on the top of their game for four times each in uh, whatever playoff series or round we're talking about. But if they are, I think they can win. Now, the Lakers, they're still, you know, not sure about that. The Nets, not even close to sure because the Nets, I don't see them that much and they're yeah. not around that much. And they haven't played together that much. Yeah. There isn't right. a body of work. The Lakers, they're you know, guys. if they're healthy, they can win the title because you watch them do it. Right. And LeBron's LeBron. Mm-hmm. So, LeBron, we talk about Jack Nicholas. LeBron is of that level in his sport. And he's one of these dudes, and they're very rare that come along <clears throat> until I see the fourth loss on LeBron. I'm going to expect him to win because I've seen that so many times. Uh, but, you know, you wonder uh, where they're at as far as that goes, and we'll know at that time. So I do acknowledge that. But everybody else in this league, literally everybody else, including the Clippers, and I came away last night thoroughly impressed with Paul George. Paul George could have any type. If he can uh, recreate anything he does in the regular season in the postseason, then yes. But he hasn't done it so far, and it becomes a head case. Or uh, to an extent, in last year he spoke about that, and I don't deny that he was going through some mental health issues being there and all the stuff that the world was going through. I don't know what that means for next season, or not next season, but this postseason, I meant to say. So uh, he's very, very good, and he can be elite. So the Clippers too, but certainly everybody else. And then maybe, maybe I'm downgrading Denver a little bit. That was my next thing. I was going to quiz you on that. But I still think the Jazz, if they're at the top of their game, they can win most, if not all, playoff series in the West. Put the Nets off to the side over in the East. Just worrying about the West right now. And that, that's one of the things that I've seen. It, it, to me, it's becoming abundantly clear. Because you just look at that fourth or third quarter against the Blazers. Under the circumstances, back-to-back, supposed to be gassed. You know, you got uh, three guys in your lineup that you're playing over 30. Uh, You're supposed to peter out a little bit. And not only did they not peter out, they turned it up. And so that showed some mental toughness. And all the great ones, I mean, the truly great ones, they have, have the great ability with the mental toughness. You know, it's one thing when you play at a high level and, you know, you work hard and you do all that, but you don't know exactly why you're in the zone. 
it's another thing, and this is what the great ones have, when you can just summon it when you need it. We haven't been playing great, but we need to play great now, so right now I'm going to make sure we play great. Yeah. yeah. Why did the Jazz lose to the Bulls? Because Jordan said, we're not playing great. I haven't been great, but right now I need to be great. And he just summoned it. It wasn't something where you got to work your way into it. It's just like, right now. I've got to do it right now. And they do it. And the Jazz, and I, I don't want to compare a regular season game, number 50, whatever, two, with you know game six of the NBA Finals with less than two minutes to go in the fourth quarter because they're vastly different things. But the Jazz needed to summon it, and they did. Okay, yeah. you got to summon it in the regular season on demand before you can do it in the playoffs. But it was impressive that they walked out of the locker room when they got to the exact point where NBA history says, well, this is where you should doubt a team. And the Jazz are like, don't doubt us. We're about to hang 40 to 19 on these guys, and there's nothing they can do about it. And Mitchell's leading the way. Is Mitchell, I asked Jazz fans everywhere around the world listening to us, is Mitchell, does Mitchell have the mental toughness to win an NBA title. Yeah, I think he does. And I think you saw it. Uh, the most recent time you saw it was he wasn't shooting the ball well, but they needed a three to get to OT, so he summoned it. I will now make a three. There's no reason I should make this. There's nothing I've done tonight that makes you think I will make this. But you've seen it other times, so you're not turning away. <laughs> and I didn't turn away, and he made it. And that's a, that's a pretty rare skill. It's a pretty rare skill to have. You know, it'd be hard enough to make that shot if you were having a good game. It was not a high percentage shot. Nothing about that shot is the shot you want, except the game's on the line and he's Donovan Mitchell, and you want that. But if you're looking, you know, is he open? Is it contested? Is he on the dribble? Is he, un- is he on balance? Is he in rhythm? You know, that, that shot didn't check a lot of those boxes. But he made it. And that's why in you traffic. Went, and that's why yeah, right, exactly. And that's why you went to Twitter. <laughs> that's why you went to Twitter. Yeah, you know the Gonzaga three, that Suggs three? He had a little bit of space when he launched that. You know, he went around a guy, and so he was open for a moment there. And the score was tied. Right. Yeah. So there's a little less pressure and there's a little more space. And he had he banked, five minutes guaranteed. And he banked it in when he was trying to swish it. Still awesome, yeah. give him credit, but you got all those things. You know, but Mitchell had to make that shot. That's a great example. In the moment, that was big. I, I just think that he has the mental toughness. He's an East Coast kid. East Coast kids. And he grew up in affluence. But I still think has that he has the edge. He has the stones to to do it, man. He really does. He grew up playing against all those guys. So I guess the other question is, why does Rudy, who grew up in France, have it? I don't know. Yeah. We never know, really. <laughs> we think we know. We hope we know. But we don't exactly know. Yeah, I don't know. And, and it's a thing. about that. It, it, here's the other thing, though. Are you going to have it in every situation? You know? Because it, I always thought Carl Malone was so interesting, right? All the Jazz fans of that era can list the games when Carl didn't have it and didn't come through. And yet, at the same time, he had all these games over here where he did have it and he did come through. He never had that problem facing Shaq and David Robinson. You look at all the games, all the games you want to light him up for. Never Shaq, never David Robinson. 
Michael Jordan, Akeem Olajuwon, you can list a few games. You're like, ah! But not Shaq and not David Robinson. Why the heck is that? I mean, those are four excellent players. He only had the one series against Tim Duncan, and he performed great in that. So that, there's not a lot of test cases there. But if you want to throw Duncan in, you can. But against Hakeem and Jordan, that's where, the, that's where those you know, bad and even horrible playoff games happened. You know, then there were a few other outliers, but, but mostly it just fascinated me against four Hall of Famers that two he handled so well and two really struggled with. And I guess you can explain Jordan away because so many people struggled with Jordan. But so is mm-hmm, sure. even, even though Donovan's got it and, you know, it was kind of on display in, in Den, against uh, Denver in the playoffs and it was on display with that clutch, clutch last shot against Phoenix. You know, is he going to have it against LeBron? That's a lot to ask of a 24-year-old. Now, we don't know if they're even going to play LeBron. We don't know if LeBron's going to get healthy and stay healthy. So there's a ton of question marks that we can't possibly answer right now. But I do wonder, you could have it against one team and against one guy, but are you going to have it against another team and another guy? And, and I think what the Nets have is they have that same question. You know, can Durant take down LeBron? I mean, going back to Oklahoma and sitting in Miami in the finals, right? Those guys have a history. Cleveland and, uh, and um, Golden State in the NBA Finals, those guys have a history. And I think Durant, um, you know, has orchestrated it so, well, it's not just me against LeBron. <laughs> I got my guys. <laughs> I got Kyrie on this side. I got James Harden on that side. I got help. I think you need to have it whenever the situation demands that you have it. And that's what I think Mitchell is about. What is the situation? What do we need? Here's what I'll do. I, I don't know that it's against specific players, people, situ, uh, uh, rounds, whatever the situation requires. And, and that's what I've got to have, speaking from the individual player perspective. And I see it in Mitchell. He needs to do it on a much bigger stage. I get that. But we're watching him every game, and we've watched him every game for four years now. And to me, you got to have that moxie, and it looks like he's got it. I'm expecting him. That doesn't mean he's going to win all of them by any stretch. Even the greatest, Jordan didn't do it. He didn't win it all, all the time. But when it mattered the most, no matter what the circumstances were, like you just brought up in that three-point shot against the Suns, you know, the circumstances should have uh, dictated that he not make that shot because yep. it, it was, uh, he, was, it was not, he wasn't feeling it uh, from three. And he hasn't been feeling it from three. <laughs> I mean, he's, he had another crappy night last night from three, didn't he? What, was, what, was the, what were the numbers? But he just has a way. And I think other guys can feed off of that, and that can make a big difference. So my, to summarize this week, this week's not over because they still have Sacramento tomorrow, and yes, we're all expecting them to win. We understand that. But this was, this was so far, this has been a great week for the Jazz, even though they've lost two because they, Phoenix got all excited, and I listened to Phoenix radio yesterday, and those guys were, you know, they're, they're pandering to the audience. I do it too, let's be honest. And they're talking about, oh, the Jazz this, the Jazz that. All right. Well, you went into that game trailing by two and a half, and that's where you are today. Yeah, <laughs> so, and you've got the tougher schedule. So you got yeah. the tiebreaker, and that's great, 
but only if it comes down to a tie. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't matter. It's all of all these games count the same. And they had a tough one. So I can't discount them. Oh, well, see, they I think gagged. we both assumed that they were, but both teams were going to lose coming off that game in Phoenix. I assumed that the Suns were going to go lose to the Clippers. And I thought the Jazz were going to lose to the Blazers. And at halftime, I knew they had a chance. They weren't out of it. But I thought if they were going to win, they needed to take control of the game early and have a little bit of cushion for when inevitably the fatigue set in. It's not how they did it, and it's not what they did, and it worked. See, and that's where mental toughness can come in. Yes, agreed. And I want to ask Joe, I mean, when, and we got him coming up at 9 o'clock, I think, tonight, today. And so I want to ask him, you know, when the game is over against Phoenix, do you, I would think that you have to go right into – mentally preparing yourself to get ready to play the next night. And, and what, I, what I mean by that is you've got to outline what your schedule is. You're going to get on a plane. I don't know if you can fall asleep. It's a short flight. I've taken the flight from Phoenix to Salt Lake a million times, and so many of us that are listening have too. So I don't know if you can fall asleep there. But what do you do to make sure you got yourself re- to the rest you need to be able? I think you have to plan it, right? It's not – Oh, well, it's 10 o'clock. Uh, I think I'll go take a nap. I think it has to be, everything has to be in order to be able to, for you to do that. And I sensed that from the beginning of the game. So I felt, I felt good because I didn't see any sluggishness at the start. So there's no excuse making. They wouldn't allow any excuse making in. And I think that uh, maybe Quinn Snyder or whomever, or maybe they just already know how to do it since they're, they're, they're all veterans, the nucleus of the team is, and they knew here's what we need to do to make sure we're ready to go in uh, uh, 20 hours or whatever it was when after the loss of the Phoenix game. And I felt like watching the first part of the game, that's, I was trying to judge, you know, what's the body language? Are they lethargic and any of that stuff? And I didn't see it, and I felt good. I thought when I watched the first quarter, I thought, okay, they've, they've got enough of what it takes and they got a shot at the end. Now, they surprised me because they didn't need the shot at the end. I mean, they won going away. I was very much surprised by that, pleasantly surprised, obviously, but I thought watching the first part of the game thinking they're going to have enough juice to be able to handle what Portland comes at them, so they've got a decent chance to win. Little did I know they would blow them off the court, and that was great. Uh, to your point about uh, Donovan Mitchell's struggles, one of eight last night on three-point shooting. So in the three games against Dallas, Phoenix, and Portland, this test we've been looking forward to, he went five of 28 from three. But it's not good, I don't think. <laughs> thank you, PK. But the one he had to hit to get the OT goes in. And furthermore, yes. there's been enough of that in the past that it's not that big a surprise. It's still a surprise in a moment, and you probably holler when you're watching the TV. Oh, he hit it! But 5 for 28, and you summon up the one you need to get to overtime? That's, that's unusual. A lot of players have game, but do they have heart to go with get the game? And I think the answer for Mitchell is a resounding yes. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Schedule adjustment. Joe Ingles had to move to 9 o'clock. So Joe's going to be on at 9. Brian Taylor with the Masters update at 9.30 right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
Sam Amick with us from The Athletic, working on the free agency files. Who's going to possibly be out there? Somebody on your list is Mike Conley. What kind of market might await him if he chooses to test it? Mike has made it real clear he wants to resign in Utah. The Jazz have a chance here with Mike to have, I think, a run at title contention for the next several years. It would seemingly be a no-brainer, but signing Mike to a big-time deal is going to put them deep into luxury tax. That's the only if to me. I'm not hearing any noise as of yet about Mike looking at greener pastures. But that being said, it's free agency. The way he's shooting the ball, the way he's still showing that he can play at a high level, I think Mike certainly is going to get plenty of attention. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. The Jazz beat the Blazers in that losing streak at two games. And it seems weird to take them about 10 at a time, but that's my role here, PK. Let's not limit ourselves to one game at a time. Let the coaches, let the players limit themselves to one game at a time. When Joe comes on in half an hour, we can try to take him uh, 10 games at a time with him and see, see how that works. The Jazz schedule now lightening up. The two games that we had circled that looked like they were going to be real tests playing the Lakers twice in three days in L.A., those games fall just inside the one-month mark for LeBron, and we've heard four to six weeks for his injury. He'd have to be back in less than four weeks to play in those games, and even then he wouldn't you know, be in basketball condition after not playing for a month. So there's a long stretch of games. As much as we've enjoyed these last three, and they're a test for the Jazz, and how do we read into them? But it's about consistency right now because if the Jazz are playing well, they should handle all these teams. they got to play poorly to let these teams in a game. There isn't, uh, there isn't another real serious playoff contender, assuming you know the Lakers aren't healthy, until they see Phoenix again on April 30th. The rest of this month is games they are going to be favored night after night. Win, 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 win. This is a win-win situation. Ashley, what you're saying, this is a win, 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 win situation. If that was 10 wins, you're right. I think they're going to be favored in 10 straight games leading into another game with Phoenix in Arizona on April 30. Oh, I'm going to go down for that game, and I'm going to be dressed. I'm going to be decked out in my jazz gear, and I'm going to paint my face. And I'm not going to speak to my family because they're Suns fans. My sister is. My one sister. I'm not going to speak to her. This is a rivalry now, and it's on. Will it be full jazz regalia? (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. You're going to be smoking outside uh, the, what is it, talking stick? Talking stick resort arena or whatever they call it now. And I don't know what the laws are in Arizona anymore, but I just might be smoking a marijuana cigarette. (laughs) Way to double down on the outrageous. <laughs> not going to be smoking anything. You're not even going to be at the game. But that was good shtick. I thought if you I did go to the I'm game. I'm not going to be at the game. I thought if you did go to the game, you should go presidential. You'd be like the president going to the Army-Navy game. You know, they sit on one side of the field for the first half. They sit on the other side for the second half. You could wear your son's gear. No, that's a Sit behind the Suns bench in the first I, half. I, I and then a, the Jazz. No. The Jazz for winning time, fourth quarter. No, try to appeal to all voters. Uh, come on. Come on. We, re, we need to unite as a country now. Oh, that means your, your party won. 
Give me a break. Get out of town. I'm not falling for that nonsense. No, no, no. I was an independent until I moved to Utah. Now I'm a hardcore Republican, so I'm rooting for the jazz all the way. I don't even know what that has to do with each other, but all right. <laughs> you brought up the presidential thing, not I me. I did. I did. I still didn't follow what you just said, but that's okay. That's the point of what I say. I, I understand that. That's the part I get. I don't know how we're getting there, but I know where we're getting. And how that's will the we NBA find finals. <laughs> right. I don't know how we're getting there either, but we will get there. Yes. Who will be there when we come out of the forest into the clearing? No idea. Uh, well, I, I agree with you. I think you said early on that you thought the Nets were the team. And sure, I'll, I'll buy that. But they got to stay healthy, and I don't know that they can. If they're healthy, it's absolutely them. But they are, you know, as soon as they bring one guy back, another guy sits. And the third guy can miss a road trip at any time. There's something going on in his life. I don't know what it is. And the, the team knows, and they're fine with it. So I assume it's, it's serious and real. I know at times that he's out there with the flat earth and whatever else and criticizing LeBron, but this seems to be spot on. I just don't know that the, leg, the, the Nets – are all going to be healthy. Hamstrings are notoriously, notoriously tricky things, and they got two guys with hamstring injuries. So no, 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 notorious. <laughs> the um, this goes to a point, and I think when we talk about this, it drives people nuts. Um, but you know, the Jazz are a contender; they're not the favorite. Now, it's hard to be a contender. And they haven't been, they've been a playoff team for four years, but they haven't been a contender for the title. Now they're legit contender, which even though you have the best record, doesn't mean you're the favorite. The people who geek out on this and run the 10,000 computer simulations and all that, they don't have any team with a 20% chance of winning the championship. There's a favorite, it's the Nets at 19%, and that probably reflects that they would have to win two difficult playoff series to win a championship, and everybody else will probably have to win three or four. They give the Jazz, this is 538, and they give the Jazz a 15% chance of winning it all. Gut instinct, does that sound ballpark right to you? Does that make them a serious enough contender without making them a favorite that it rings true? Well, I have to see what. how does that relate to everybody else in the mix. Well, Nets at 19%, Clippers at 18 Jazz at 15 Nuggets at 14 Sixers at 11 and the oh, Bucks, Lakers. Bucks and Lakers are at 8%. And I assume with the Lakers that that reflects health. Oh, okay, gotcha. I mean, I, well, then, I, yeah. If that's the case, if they're, they're right in the mix. So, yeah. I mean, it's a 3% difference between the, the favorites and where the Jazz are at that way, uh, from that perspective. So, that puts them right in the mix, and I don't know statistically if that's the right way to say it, but in my mind, at least right now, they've got as good a chance as anybody else. And it goes back to what I just said in the prior segment. I believe if they are on their game four times, you got to be on your game four times. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're just better, and you don't, and that's even better if you can win playoff series with not being at the top of your game. And I suppose the earlier in the postseason, the more chance you don't have to be at the top of your game. But as the, season, as the postseason progresses and it's a two-month ordeal, I think you're going to have to be at the top of your game to win. I think you're going to have to be at the top of your game to beat the Clippers, the Lakers, 
the Nuggets and the Suns. I think you're going to have to be at the top of your game because I think those teams are pretty doggone good. And even Phoenix, which is a proven jack, uh, I think they're they're a pretty good ball club now. And so they're they're ready to win. They've been waiting, waiting, waiting. They take a huge uh, gargantuan jump this season. And they probably they skipped a couple of process, uh, steps to go yeah. with the Dennis Lindsay thing. Well, they did that because they got Chris Paul. And the other guys, have, uh, you know, they were ready to win, and they're winning at a much higher level. But the point being, I acknowledge them as legitimate. And I believe that if the Jazz are playing as, not necessarily as well as they can, but better than what they have been this week, I think they can beat anybody in the West. Still curious about who they're going to match up with in that second round. You know, the teams that go to the other side of the bracket – you got to get to a conference final to see them, and you don't necessarily know which one is going to emerge. You know, the other side of the bracket could be Phoenix, um, either the Clippers or the Nuggets, but not both of them, but one of them. And then, yeah, but that—that's yeah. what makes it more all the more thrilling. It's like these high schools now. We see these high schools that are virtually all-star teams, right? You got guys traveling in some cases you, thirty miles to go to a particular school, so you win your state championship, and they yeah. barely even celebrate because they've been kicking a crap at everybody yeah. the whole time. No, it's true. I mean, for years now, you've been able you can look at a team and not know very much at all, and know well they're in the state semis, and then we'll figure it out at that point. If they're tested, yeah. it's only going to be in the last game or two. And how much fun can that really be? Well, that and and in the NBA, and I hope this comes to pass on multiple levels because the NBA is the most predictable. And if we got Lakers and Nets, and they just waltz through everything, I got to admit that's going to be a disappointment. That's go. It's that's one of the knocks against the NBA. You know, Locke likes to crack on baseball. Well, there's not many Bucky Dents in the NBA or whomever, these obscure dudes who come up in a big situation and then it lives on forever. It normally doesn't happen that way. It's the stars who get you where you're supposed to go. So in the process, that becomes predictable. Well, maybe this year, maybe it's not so much. And maybe we got a couple of upstart teams. And maybe they can do some stuff. And if they do then that becomes that much sweeter, I believe, because then you're so excited. Maybe you didn't see it coming. And there's and, and we talk to Jazz fans every day, on and off the air, right? You can't avoid it. And especially now in the golf season, I'll start to get out more, and I'll run into more people. Uh, you're not as out in the public as much in the winter, plus with the pandemic and all that stuff. Well, now I expect it'll be more. And you, we talk to them all the time, and they're excited about it. And so, yeah, it'll mean more. If it's a more of a more of a struggle, so bring on all those second round opponents. They're all going to be tough. It really doesn't matter who it's in the second round. Maybe even in the first round, but in the second round, I think you're going to get a very good ball club, and it's going to be on. And you're going to have to play well. And I think if they do play well, they win. All right, stay with us, DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The Zone. Joe Ingles coming up at the top of the hour. And then Brian Taylor, Masters Update at 9.30 after that. Stay with us. Joe Ingles on the way in a little more than 15 minutes, about 20 minutes, right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the big show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, The Zone continues to dominate the competition. Number one.
Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles is going to join us coming up. He's coming up a little after 9 o'clock here. Uh, PK, there was some video, and it's just such a contrast here. There's some video making the rounds on uh, Twitter. Have you seen uh, Abraham answer and getting uh, the – he got penalized two strokes for, yeah. um, for grounding his club in the sand? Barely. I mean, a really tight shot shows that he did move some sand, possibly a quarter of an inch. And he's hitting yeah. an inch behind the ball. It didn't have any impact. But it's a two-stroke penalty. And then over here, we got baseball. We got a walk-off hit by pitcher. And the batter is actually in the strike zone. And the umpire admits it should have been strike three. And then over here, we got Trevor Bauer being investigated, even though no one really thinks they're going to be able to pin anything on him. But was he, uh, was he manipulating a ball? There was a sticky foreign service. I can't even say that. Substance, thank you. Substance. And visible markings on the ball. What is cheating? What is not? And granted, on the spectrum of cheating in sports, golf and baseball are probably at opposite ends. That's just a pretty quick assumption from either one. Anybody who's watched either one for even a little while. But nonetheless, this is pretty, a pretty striking contrast in the headlines right now. Oh, it's a joke, Dave. Call it like <laughs> it is. Come on. Which one is a joke? The whole situation, the golf with their stupid rules. I mean, hey, I mean, as long as it doesn't give you an advantage. Yeah, and it didn't. I mean, it, yeah, yeah, that's the thing about it. Uh, and they got Dustin Johnson, you know, a couple, well, it was probably five, six years ago now, was in the PGA in the sand, and he it was club touched the ground. He had a two-stroke thing. And well, they had fans walking through that quote-unquote bunker throughout the week, and then you claim that's a bunker? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I'm, I'm sick of it, man. Are you kidding me? This is two nights in a row I've gone to bed late, and you expect me not to be irritated and <laughs> hostile this morning? <laughs> oh, you're the fool, not me. I mean, it's so illogical. I mean, it's the world in which we live in, Dave. How can you not see it? And we have to rise up and battle and protest against it. I mean, how long has this been going on now, my friends? There's probably a song for it. You want to sing it? (laughs) (laughs) If not... I'll make one up. All the greens are brown. (laughs) 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 Uh, If you missed the hits earlier this morning, you really missed out. (laughs) Well, you told me the the greens are brown. (laughs) They are. (laughs) Sing your master's update. (laughs) Where Tony Finau be now? I mean, it works. Sing your update. Did you you see the updated one yesterday? I didn't see the one from yesterday. I'll have to retweet it. It's pretty good. Do it. What's the update from yesterday? This guy, he works for The Ringer. He's a host in Memphis. He does these pretty original Masters updates where he's, like, rapping while he's doing it's, the update. It's totally over the top. It's he's insane. Got, he's got sunglasses. He's got a green jacket on. He's got backup dancers. He's got, he does. And he, he's, 
He's he's rapping, and then his his tag team partner jumps in with a four under. He's he's the, he's his producer. He gives he's the in the score. booth. Yeah, yeah, right. He's in a booth, and I mean, it's just a campy setup kind of deal. Is is it, not the green jacket the coolest thing in sports? The coolest tradition. The only thing that's cooler. Uh, or that resemble, and I guess it, I can't say it's cooler. It probably depends on which sport you like more. The only thing that I think remotely compares to it is the Stanley Cup and that tradition of everybody gets to take it wherever for one day and guys have flown it to their hometown halfway around the world. But I think the green jacket and that's, that the, tra- the Stanley Cup travel tradition, are those two just jump out at me. Those are. But it's not yours. So awesome. The green jacket is yours, man. Yes, the green, that's true. All you got to do is say green jacket. Yep. Yeah. And you know, well, cup. You don't know. I mean, there's like your your soccer. They got like eight thousand cups. And that's why I didn't go to any of them. But they I got a the cup Stanley, a day. The I know, but cup. that. Yeah. But once you say Stanley Cup, I mean, come on, that, that's like that. That doesn't really count. I mean, you're giving away the sport, but green jacket, it's not even a sports term. It's very generic. But, you're right. But we know what it is, and it's cool. But it's the best. It is literally the best. There's nothing better out there than the green jacket. Even in its own sport, it has nothing that comes close to comparing it to the green jacket. Yeah, the other three. If you don't like yeah. the Masters. I dare say you're not American. <laughs> well, there are plenty of people who are not American who do love the Masters. Oh, I know. I understand that. A bunch of Australians yeah. who love golf who are all about right. it. A bunch of and South Africans. And the thing Africans. about them is yeah. and they, and they, they want to be Americans, but they can't. Because they you're, know. You're warming up for the whole world Eagles comes now. here. <laughs> the whole world comes here. We don't go there. Well, we do for the British Open, but I get your point. Not for the Masters. But it's not they, they don't. The, the, no, those are all fine. But the green jacket. There is nothing cooler. Guys can't speak when they have the green jacket on. They cry. They blubber like a baby. And a time they should be overcome with joy, they're crying. Now, obviously, it's. Crying can not only just be a sad emotion, it can be a positive and a most likely a grateful emotion, which is why it is and why we see that. But it's, it's just it's off the charts, and it's here this week. It's such a great thing. And, and golf does tradition better than any sport. Really? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, you have Lee Elder, Gary Player, Jack Nicholas. Major League Baseball. That was where I was going to go for tradition. Right, unless we're going to honor Hank Aaron. Oh, no, we're not. Thank you for bringing that up, Dave. <laughs> they honored I've been him. waiting for you to bring it up at the end of the week. They honored him by moving it, is what people would say, because he's Hank. Come on, they bring out people to throw first pitches, right? They brought out Ted Williams in the golf cart, and all the players gathered around him. On a game that doesn't matter. True. Yeah. But it's a celebration of the sport. <laughs> okay. And, and, and exactly. they have brought out but famous I don't think, players. I don't, necessarily, I don't think celebration of the sport is the same thing as tradition. Uh, it's not automatically, but you celebrate the sport by... I, I just think baseball with uh, 
you know, whether it was an old-timers game or they, they've brought out celebrity players from past eras to throw out the first pitch at World Series. Baseball is the one that compared sure. to golf. Yeah, I mean, it does a little bit, but most of those players yeah. are ripping the way the game is played today. <laughs> they and do do that. And I don't think that. there's the homage that is paid from the current players to the past players. The, Mike Weir sitting there talking about how he, he sits down at the, at the with Champions Gary Player dinner with Gary Player. Yep, that's a generational jump right there. Yes, and, and the other thing, not just with the Champions Dinner, the other way, place that golf does it is by having some of the greats host tournaments, right? Uh, you grew up with the, I mean, he's passed away now, but the, the Byron Nelson Classic. And Arnold Palmer's got his tournament, right? And again, he's passed away now, too. But Jack's got his tournament um, in Ohio. And so these, you know, these greats host a week. And the fields are usually pretty good. You know, they're not majors. They're not even World Golf Championship events. But the fields are usually pretty good when one of those guys is hosting the tournament. And every single young guy pays deep, deep respect to the elders of the game. I don't think you have that in baseball. When are they running out Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds? Oh, that would be like never? No, but they've retired the number 42 for Jackie, right, in every ballpark. And they do all gather around Ted Williams when he comes out. Is he still alive? What do you mean? Nope. Did they freeze his head? Is that what you're talking about? Well, no. When he came out on the golf oh, okay. cart. You know what well, I'm talking about. You used the about. present tense. But thanks for the, thanks for the freezing <laughs> head reference. <laughs> Yuck, better work by PK. Working Hank Aaron in the, in the moved All-Star game or, or the Ted Williams freeze the head reference? They're pretty even in my opinion. Nice pulls on both. Uh, and sometimes I think my head is frozen. hey <laughs> All right, take a break. Come back with Joe Ingles. He's coming up next, and then we'll go to the Masters and get a second-round update, see how things are going. We'll check in with Brian Taylor from Real Golf Radio at 930. Joe Ingles is next on the heels of the win over Portland. Stay with us. Hello, this is the Donald calling. You're welcome. PK, there's OK Blue, there's OK Red. I've even seen Sleepy Joe wear pink jackets, but green jackets are the best. They're money. Love green jackets. <laughs> Who was that, Yak? That was Lane. We had to go, Lane. In a while, so good to hear from you again, Lane. Green jackets are the best. There it is. <laughs> That's funny. All right, coming up here in a minute, Joe Ingles is going to join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The color of the night for the Jazz, that was, that was gold, right? Green and gold. He's talking Jordan Clarkson over there on the side. That was a... Uh, okay, gotcha. That was yeah. quite the bright, shiny outfit. Not everyone can pull <laughs> well, that off. He likes to be understated, obviously. Clearly. <laughs> Shorts, no less. <laughs> hey, whatever works. <laughs> Not even summers. I want that job where you make millions and show up to, to work with shorts. Done. Sign him up. <laughs> nice win without him, for sure. Jazz take down the Blazers in their two-game losing streak. And assuming that LeBron is out, which they haven't announced, but doing the math, it looks like LeBron will be out. And if LeBron and AD aren't playing for the Lakers, the Jazz are going to be favored in their next 10 games. The next time they wouldn't be the favorite would be the uh, Suns at the end of the month. So... Jazz pick up a game on Phoenix because Phoenix lost to the Clippers last night. So Jazz get out of that difficult week with a a two-and-a-half game lead in the West. 
All I right, time to. Obvious. All right, time to welcome in Joe Ingles. The Joe Ingles Show is brought to you by Cypress Credit Union, where your future is our future. Hey, yeah! This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe, and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best-looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz, Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe to the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show <laughs> with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Time to welcome in Joe Ingles. Joe, you are the man. Thank you for always taking care of me. I appreciate all of your hard work. You're welcome. I've always asked, have a good game, win the night before you come on. You're in a better mood. It's easier to joke around. It's not good to be joking around when you're coming off a loss and all that. So I know there were losses earlier in the week, and they pained a lot of Jazz fans, but you focused on my needs, and for that I'm very grateful. I just figured if we dropped a couple, if we're going to lose, we're obviously going to lose a couple towards the, like, for the rest of the year. So I figured if we lost the early ones and won the one before the, game, the radio, it would be perfect. There you go. You're the man. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> yes, like we Quinn appreciate no. it. <laughs> yeah, like Quinn, no. That'd be a great conversation. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I love, Joe, 13 FGAs? What are you, Jordan Clarkson? Are you going to show up in gold shorts the next game? <laughs> I will not be doing anything Jordan Clarkson does like that. Um, no, I mean, it was... I got a... I got a few good looks early that I missed every one of them and then obviously got some more later on. And so, as always, if they're, if they're there, I'm going to take them. I'm not going to take the bad ones, but I'll, I'll take them. And obviously with, obviously with JC out, um, again, kind of same with Mike or when I've been out or Donovan or whoever it's been, there's a little bit more opportunity for, for guys to step up a little bit. So we all had to play, um, a little bit kind of roll and um, well, we got the win. So we've been over this a million times, and I know you hate it when we go over it a million and one, but I think when opposing coaches see the most, the guy who's leading the NBA in effective field goal percentage only take two or four shots, they're probably a little relieved. And I get that the guiding principle with your offense is the ball goes to the open man because the best shot is the uncontested shot. And really the only time you guys get away from that, there are times that Donovan Mitchell or Jordan Clarkson will go one-on-one and will take a contested shot. But largely that's the guiding thing. And so I get why there are games where you don't shoot a lot. But given how effective you are, I wonder how much thought is giving to creating options because teams are choosing not to leave you for long stretches of games sometimes. You know, they, they've made it a priority. Hey, we're not letting this guy get open. So what about trying to do something to create open shots for you? I assume there have been those conversations uh, with either Quinn or assistants or a combination of all of them. How do they go? What's the thinking there? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is a tough one because, I mean, you guys – know me and I've said it a million times like you said like I'm not going to take bad shots I'm not going to 
um, fourth shots um, just because I feel like I, I haven't had enough or I want to shoot more or whatever the reasoning could be. Um, I mean, I do know at times um, probably more myself. I can be more aggressive at, at certain times when I um, I think it's people probably think and look when someone's out, I look more aggressive. The fact of the matter is it's when someone's out, I like it's. I mean, if Mike's out, yeah, I'm going to have the ball more. If JC's out, yeah, I'm going to have the ball more. It's just kind of common sense. Um, so there is more opportunities for that. There's, there's definitely times um, with our full roster, I can be a little bit more aggressive or picking kind of pick and choose my times, I guess. Um, but it's, I mean, it's tough too. I'm not going to. Rudy rebounds the ball and. Mike and I are standing kind of next to him. I'm like, I'm going to take off and let Mike carry the ball. He's our point guard. That's what we traded for him to do. Um, same with Donovan, same with JC. There's a lot of guys in our team that can handle the ball. And um, I think, like I said, there's, there's definitely times I can probably be more aggressive um, if I rebound. Like if I, I mean, I've never been the best rebounder in the world. Or I usually kind of let the big kind of sort it out or, or whatever, be down there and when I see Rudy going for it, get out of the way so I don't get taken out. Um, <laughs> but if I get the rebound, it's, it's obviously me starting the break and then I can kind of be aggressive off that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to shoot 15 shots a game every game, but that's not the way um, our team's constructed. Obviously, we've got Donovan who's going to, Take majority of them. Boyan's going to get his. Mike's going to get his. JC's kind of going to get his. Those are our four guys that are pretty consistently going to get the looks, um, which I feel like I create a lot of those looks as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's that kind of, I guess, a fine line of each game figuring it out. Um, like I said, when I can be aggressive and, and when it's time to, to move the ball and get someone else a shot. In the NBA, Joe, you got games coming at you fast and furious, particularly this season. I think it's uh, like 16 games in a 30-day stretch in the month of April. So you got to take them all for what they're worth. But I'm wondering, do you guys get a little more excited for any of these games? Like this Phoenix game seemed like it was a big game. And I, I guess it was, but the Suns are right back where they were uh, Wednesday as far as still being two and a half games back because you beat Portland and they lost to the Clippers. So can you get into anything maybe a little bit more exciting or you just got to roll with it because you still got all these games to go? Yeah, I think uh, I think someone said last night we've got like 21 games in 37 days or something to finish the year or whatever. Yeah. Give or take. Um, so, I mean, every game's exciting. It's what we do for a job. It's what we love to do. It's why we, why we do this job because we obviously really enjoy the, the competitive side of it and winning and, um, and all that all that kind of comes with it, playing in front of fans, all that stuff that's, that's combined into one. Um, so I think every game's just as exciting whether you're playing the, the last seed in the East or the, the top or, or whatever. So um, I think you know... I mean, we've got a smart group. Guys know, yeah, we realise we're, we're top. We realise Phoenix is exactly whatever game's behind. Uh, the, Clippers and the, the Clippers and the Lakers are always going to are always going to be up there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's you don't want to... 
I don't want to say we take more games kind of more serious than others or anything like that, but every game's important. And, and what we've focused on this year, and I think we've done a really good job of it, is is more ourselves and the, the way we want to be playing come the playoffs. So, yeah, it would have been great to win Phoenix that game in overtime. It's a good game. It felt like a playoff game, the, the competitiveness and the intensity of it. But we lost. We I think we learned some good things out of it. We come and bounce back against a, a really good um, Portland team that's been that's been playing really well too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's like it's frustrating to lose those games that are close and that you feel like you, you could have won or you could have done something more. But um, like you said, the games the games are coming so quick right now that we got on the plane right after the game, got in at 2 a.m., had a little nap, took the kids to school, and we were back at the, the facility ready, getting ready for the next game. So um, it's, it's going to be like that the rest of the year. We Like I said, we, I mean, we play tomorrow and then we've got a back-to-back followed by another back-to-back. So, um, yeah, just kind of focusing more on ourselves, trying to get better and better, um, trying to implement things in certain games that we'll need in the playoffs. We can not not using certain teams, but there's certain players that you can, there's certain picking uh, pick and pop bigs that we can, we know we might see with Anthony Davis or Jokic or, or whoever that might be in the, the playoffs. So, um, yeah, little things you can do, but yeah, just, just game by game and, and keep getting better is what we've focused on all year. So you get out rebounded in Phoenix by, I don't know, 16 or 17 boards. It was a lot. And then you turn around and do the exact same thing to Portland. Is that something that you guys just know because you can all look at a box score and that's it? Does Quinn mention something? Does Quinn mention something and show you a bunch of video of where you can do better? How, how does, in a 24-hour turnaround, how does that happen? But the best thing is when you lose on a back-to-back, you don't really have to watch film of that game the night before. <laughs> so you can kind of just um, kind of move on to that next game. Obviously, again, like you said, like we know when we have done something not well, whether it be individually or as a team, like they scored off it or I had an opportunity to shoot a three and I didn't and we had a turnover or whatever the situation is. Um, There was times we were, like Rudy and Faye were contesting a lot more of Booker's and Chris Paul's mid-range, which put us in rotations a little bit. And the guards were coming down and trying to hit eight, which if you're a second late, he's seven foot with a, whatever, seven, six, seven, eight wingspan. So it's hard to to out-jump someone like that um, when, they're, when they're in position. So um, it... I guess it's one of those ones where it didn't really need to be said. I think we, we knew what we, we didn't do. Um, and I guess the matter of fact is too, is like when we, when we do rebound and when our guards rebound, we're, we're a really good team because we can get out and run. And that's what we do best. We, we run, we got guards that can run, we got bigs that can run, we shoot threes. Misses if we miss it. Um, and it's where we kind of thrive as a team. So, um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't, I mean, it was still obviously brought up, but it wasn't something that we needed to be screamed at over. I think, uh, like I said, as a smart veteran group, I think it's, it's, it's very easy to know when we're, we're not doing something that we know we should be. How much sleep then did you get before the Portland game? 
a uh, few hours, a couple of hours. <laughs> um, we got in at two or three. I think it was about three, like two thirty-three. Got up at seven. Took uh, both my kids to school and let Renee hang out with Jack. And um, Jack had an appointment yesterday at the pediatrician, so she did that with him. And then I think I had about a forty-five to an hour nap in the afternoon. Um, so like I don't know, five or six hours or something. So it was all good. It become mental at that point to just power through it. Uh, I mean, I'm not complain one bit about sleep when Renee's up all night with Jack or the twins, and I usually she's uh, very, very amazing at letting me sleep tonight. We'll obviously have a very early night tonight. Uh, we both will have a very early night, but um, she does much, much more of the heavy, heavy lifting overnight and stuff with the kids. So when there's an opportunity for me to get up and um, take one of the kids or both the kids to school, um, I, I try to do it to, to help her out. So um, I can't say that I have the tough job with the, the family side of things because she uh, she definitely definitely carries the load with that. So um, if it's a... A night of less sleep, then I'm not going to I'm not going to complain one bit. So I have seen a lot of teams over the years playing back to backs. You get to late in the third quarter, and that's when the fatigue really hits. That's when they're a step slow, and that's when they get beat. And I've seen it happen to jazz teams, not just your generation, but other generations of jazz teams on the road. And I've seen it happen to a ton of teams coming in here and playing at elevation. So it was especially surprising to me to see you guys blow the game open in the third quarter. 40-19. to 19. It was so impressive, and I really didn't expect it at all. It caught me completely off guard. What do you attribute that to? Because it really does seem like an outlier in the NBA to be on a back-to-back after an overtime against a quality opponent, and you blow the next opponent out in the third quarter. The coach said at halftime that he really wanted to impress DJ and PK. Uh, the radio. Yeah, that's good. Good. <laughs> So I thought I was getting in Quinn's. I thought I was getting in Quinn's head with some of my post game questions, so I can see why that would happen. He, he said, uh, <laughs> "We really want to make them proud, so let's go on a little run here." And um, it was actually funny you said that because after the game, I said to uh, I can't remember who I was talking. To. I was talking to someone after the game, and I was like, I remember looking up at the third. Obviously, it was close at halftime. I think it was one point or one or two points, whatever. And I looked up in the third quarter at some point. I don't know what the timing of it was. And I was like, oh, man, we're like, we're only up a couple of points. Like, it feels like we're playing, like, reasonably well at the start of the quarter. And then I, we went up and down or whatever for a few possessions. And I looked back up and we we're up, like, 22. And I was like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> like, I don't even remember. I didn't, I haven't watched the game or anything either. So I don't really know what happened. But obviously, we were getting stops and we were scoring um, is the obvious thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, we, I don't think we shot, incredibly well in the first half but we were obviously playing well we, we was like I said it was a close game um, we, we did talk about at half time just coming out kind of ready and we knew that they would kind of probably want to make a push as well it's what you were saying but vice versa of that like they know we're on a back to back they know we got in late um, all those things so even more of a reason to them to, to, to push the ball and get stops and, and try and um, I guess fatigue us a little bit more, but um, 
yeah, I think we did a, a really good job of executing and um, just kind of doing what we wanted to do to to, uh, to obviously get that lead. I didn't didn't realise it was forty to nineteen, but we'll uh, we'll take it. So when you get teed up, does that mean you got to be quiet the rest of the game? <laughs> Everyone kept saying, "Like leave him alone, leave him alone." You've already like now you've already got one. I was like, I'm not leaving him alone because they obviously missed that and it really annoyed me at that time. Um, <laughs> the 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 best part is that I said to the one uh, I'm not sure his name, the one that I thought he missed when I laid it up, um, and he. And I think it was Ennis in at the time. Ennis fouled me. Um, and I was like, I can't wait till you watch it at halftime and you have to come back and tell me, like, that you were wrong. And uh, he was, like, kind of smiling. Like, to me, it looked like he was like, well, I wasn't wrong, so it doesn't matter. And then he came out at halftime and was like, yeah, my bad. I completely missed that. He hit you on the whole arm. And I was like, that's why I had the reaction I had. Like, I'm not just going to react for no reason. I knew I got fouled, and that's why, like, I don't know. I shouldn't have, I still shouldn't have let it affect me like it did because it cost me 2500 bucks or whatever it costs for a technical foul these days, but I was frustrated. So I'd missed all my shots before that. I was like, I'm about to get a nice, easy layup on Ennis, and then he fouled me, and cost me 2500 good time yeah i was pissed at home joe <laughs> I, I don't know i'm not getting into this i'm not taking another fine I'm, i'll take my 2500 and move on okay i got my money's worth though <laughs> yeah, good for you i definitely got my money's worth so so given the fact that you played with and practice against ennis Cantor, when he comes into a game is it natural that all the jazz players of that era know we have got to go at the hoop because we're either going to get a bucket or a foul here. Are you trying to say that he's not a good defender? He's not a good defender. I don't need to say it. Most people already know that. He's an, he can score and rebound. If he were a good defender, he'd be an all-star. You know, I mean, he's, stay, he's good or he wouldn't be in the league, but you know where, you know, the fatal flaw lies. No, yeah. I mean, I think um, with, with both their bigs, not saying that either of them are bad or good or whatever, but they both are back in the paint very far back in the paint. So we we obviously went when they were in. I think they went small for two stretches, one in the first half and one in the second half, um, which is I think we went when we went on our run when they went small in the in the third quarter, which obviously they got out of that. But obviously knowing that, that Nurkic and, and Ennis are both so far back, we wanted to, to obviously use our fives with, with Rudy and Fave and, and play pick and rolls and use them to get the guards downhill and like you said then kind of a layup or a three really if they overhelp or, or whatever so um, I mean it's you can say that about those guys but yeah I mean it's it's with every team it's what teams do to us they put whoever Rudy's guarding on the on the strong side corner so he can't protect the rim um, so everyone's obviously going in and game planning and, and figuring out what's the best way to win and obviously there's there's things with every team that that is a is a weakness that that um, people try and attack attack. Give us an update on the month of April with the autism auction that you got going on. Um, amazing! Well, a lot better than I thought. Um, I had a number in my mind that was 
probably just a rough idea because, again, you, I mean, you never exactly know how these things are going to go. And I was very obviously well aware of the pandemic and what we've been going through. So I understand financially as well that, that people that maybe would have bid um, couldn't at this time. Um, so it's always a tough, <laughs> from our point of view, we want to do the right thing by trying to raise money to help these families and kids that need it. But um, also, obviously, like I said, very well aware of the, the pandemic and, and people that are, are struggling still um, with, with losing jobs or whatever it is. So um, it's going, the number I had in my head, we've doubled and nearly tripled. Um, so I don't want to, I don't want to jinx it too, too much yet, but we've had two massive, massive donations from people in, um, around, well, in Utah, actually, both in Utah, um, that isn't a part of the, the auction items. They just donated money itself, uh, which was unbelievable, which one of them will be announced tomorrow, today or tomorrow. Um, the auction item I'm about to, when you guys leave me alone, I'm going to post the auction item for today, which is maybe the best one we're going to have. It's top three for sure, but you it's not really an Australian um, item that people would want, but it is definitely an American fan favorite superstar. It's a, it's pretty cool. When I when I heard we could get one of these, um, even I got kind of excited. So jump on the website charitybuzz dot um, com, and you can I think search Ingles or Ingles Auction. Um, but I'm about to post it any minute now when I get off with you guys and. Um, pretty cool one today so it's yeah it's going like i said way better than i kind of ever anticipated and um very thankful for the the people that have bidded on the stuff um i got a couple guys on on twitter that were talking a little junk to to bid because they were talking a bit of smack about gordon's haywood and said he would buy it just to, to donate it back or something like that and i was like well you make sure you bid then and he and he went on a bid so anyone and everyone that's uh that's bidded, thank you. Um, everyone who's won, or well, coming up, the, uh, every item's on there for 12 days. So the first ones are kind of coming to the end now. Um, but yeah, unbelievable. Um, we've still got a long way to go. Well, Joe is oh, always... You, you guys need to bid on today. You guys should bid on today's item. You guys would like it. All right, I'll take a look at it during oh, the break. Checking it out. Yeah, we'll check it out during right. the break. If you get a post right away. in 10 minutes. Okay. We'll okay. do it. Awesome. All right, guys. All right. Well, we appreciate your work with autism. We appreciate you uh, telling Quinn that you have to win the night before you come on the air with us. Uh, we just appreciate <laughs> you all the way around. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Okay. Joe Ingles right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. When we come back, a Masters update with Brian Taylor from Real Golf Radio. And PK and I will keep an eye on the thing on the website, Charity Buzz and uh, see what Joe posts and let you know if he uh, gets, uh, gets posted here in the next few minutes. Masters Update, next. Stay with us. The Big Show, the Big Show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Sam Amick with us from The Athletic, working on the free agency files. Who's going to possibly be out there? Somebody on your list is Mike Conley. What kind of market might await him if he chooses to test it? Mike has made it real clear he wants to resign in Utah. The Jazz have a chance here with Mike to have, I think, a run at title contention for the next several years. It would seemingly be a no-brainer, but signing Mike to a big-time deal is going to put them deep into the luxury tax. That's the only if to me. I'm not hearing any noise as of yet about Mike looking at greener pastures. But that being said, it's free agency. 
Casey. The way he's shooting the ball, the way he's still showing that he can play at a high level, I think Mike certainly is going to get plenty of attention. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. This You Into Golf Masters update with Brian Taylor is brought to you by Mountain Land Supply, Zions Bank, Hoops Vision, Siegfried and Jensen, and Black Desert Resort. Now, here's Real Golf Radio's Brian Taylor. Time to welcome in Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio. You hear him Saturday mornings with Bob Casper. They'll be on tomorrow morning on the Zone Sports Network. Getting you ready for round three of the Masters. Round two is underway. Brian, good morning. Good morning, DJ. How are you, man? I'm good. Are you having a better morning than Justin Rose? You know, we've seen Justin Rose jump in front on the Masters on the first round lead a few times. and But yesterday's performance was something else. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable what he was doing. The golf course was honestly not that easy and he, and he was doing some different stuff. So, um, you know, not to take anything away, but he's kind of come back to earth a little bit and, and given it a lot back. Bob and I talked earlier this morning and I said, so uh, what do you think is going to happen? And he said, I think, I don't think it's going to be, the lead isn't going to be any lower than what it is after the first round. And I think everyone's going to bunch up. So, and I said, so you're thinking Justin Rose is coming back and but there's some good scores to be had out there. And he said, yeah. So that, that's kind of the, the pin placements are a little friendlier this morning. Um, the golf course is just perfect, and the weather conditions are, are scorable. So uh, it's, it's no surprise you're seeing you know, some guys like Bern Beesberger and other guys jump out and, and uh, Mark Leishman and others that have, that have gotten off to a hot start early on the front nine. And Justin Rose is, you know, he was a question mark coming in, hadn't played a whole lot of golf, being off on a little bit of an injury and, um, so, you know, I think maybe he came back to reality a bit. So Justin Rose is three over today through seven holes. He bogeyed the first and, uh, he's cost himself a couple more strokes here. So he's now four under his four shot first round lead is down to one. You mentioned Wiesberger who's, who's second. I don't know anything about him. Tell me about him. He's, he's in a group at three under and a four way tie and he's five under today through 12. Yeah. I mean, you know, Bern Wiesberger is a guy that's been playing out there for a long time. He's a Ryder Cupper. Um, let's see, how many Masters has he played in now? He has played in five Masters, and um, his best finish is tied for 22nd. You know, he's not exactly, you know, trending to be, you know, he's not getting better. In fact, he's, he's getting a little bit worse as, as the years go on. But, you know, he, he's a guy that's won out on the European Tour. He's, he's a good player. He's got a lot of distance, and he's just got it going right now. So uh, I wouldn't expect um, that you would know a whole lot about him, but – um, you know, seven seven wins on, on the European Tour and, and and a good player, like I said, Ryder Cupper and such. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't. I, again, as we talked about yesterday, with the way Justin Rose went about it, you don't win it on Thursday, but you could certainly shoot yourself out of it. And that's what I'm afraid of for guys like Rory McIlroy shooting four over. You know, in that first round, you just start to wonder how much is a little bit too far back uh, after the first round. See, you don't even need me here. You're, you're answering questions. That was my next question was, you can lose it on Thursday. You can't win it. So did DeChambeau and Rory lose it at four over? Because there's a couple big names at two over, right? You got the, the defending champ, Dustin Johnson, was in that group. Uh, Bubba Watson, who's won there, is in that group. Uh, Brooks Kepka, and I know he's coming off the medical issues. So 
Uh, maybe you don't expect him to win, but at plus two, he's still got a, a chance. I would think the guys at plus two have a shot, but at plus four, have you dismissed guys already? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, unless they do something like what, you know, um, Justin Rose did yesterday, if there's a 64 or 65 out there for one of those guys, they could jump themselves right back into the mix. Uh, it just doesn't feel like um, that the guys at the top of the leaderboard right now are the guys that are, that are set to win this thing, you know, um, at least not yet. Uh, I, I just don't, you know, even with Justin Rose being out there, you know, the guy is as a U.S. Open champion, but you know, he has, and he's finished runner up at, at the masters, I think at least once, maybe twice. And so you, you look at that and you say, okay, you know, maybe there's a guy that, that, that can win this, but you know, Beesberger and Leishman, great players, Brian Harmon, a uh, good player. Matsuyama's had some success at Augusta. Will Zalatoris is in, uh, you know, he's, he's in rare air. He's a first timer. He doesn't even know what he's doing out there. Like he, his quote, <laughs> by the way, was the best. He said, if I'm stupid enough to think I can play in this, why not be stupid enough to think I can win it? <laughs> so I, I actually kind of like that. Uh, Webb Simpson, you know, B.A.S. and Hount, I don't even know that guy, to be honest with you. So, but there's a lot of guys at the top of the leaderboard that I'd go, you know, if a guy like Justin Thomas, you know, made a move today, a guy even like the defending champ, D.J., if he made a move today, Shoffley, Rom, those guys at even par, I just feel like there's a lot, even though there's, there's a lot of shots between them and the lead, it's, there's not a lot of guys that I would say are unsurmountable. I guess it, that, that's the way I'd answer it. And it's interesting that Bryson DeChambeau, the Bryson ball experiment, doesn't seem to be working at Augusta. And sadly, Spieth, or not Spieth, but McElroy kind of, follow, kind of yep. followed Bryson down that path, and they're both, they're both uh, at four over par. So um, kind of unfortunate for McElroy. I didn't think he needed to do that, but he did, and, and that's where it stands. So, no, but look, Fino was, at, what, two over? And he eagled the second hole and got himself to even par. And so, I mean, just like that, things can turn into Augusta. How would you feel about hitting your dad at Augusta? <laughs> I would feel great about it. Because you were in the I'm Masters. Playing, I'm and, in the and Masters. And my dad's watching me. How good is that? I mean, <laughs> that's every kid's dream, right? Uh, so you dismissed a lot of guys or kind of glossed over the guys who are 200 and 300. You listed a bunch of them. But Spieth has a birdie at number two today. He's out now, and he's a two-under. Patrick Reed doesn't tee off till noon mountain time. He's a two-under. Those guys seem to have the pedigree, the names, the reps that we would think they'd be in the mix. PK drafted Reed. I drafted Spieth in our three-round draft with Bob. And they're only two shots off the lead. So it's too early to have a favorite. But do you have a favorite? Well, I like Jordan Spieth. And the thing is, is nobody's ever won the Masters making a triple bogey. And that's what he Spieth did on nine when he got stuck in the trees. But I'm going to go ahead and turn that around and make it a positive, probably because I'm a Spieth fan. If I was describing Patrick Reed, I would just dismiss him because no <laughs> one's ever made it with a triple. But uh, I, the way Jordan turns in a one under par, he gets to red numbers, even with a triple. You know, he got a little lucky with the chip in on 15, but you know what? I, I just think that um, when, when a guy can hang in there, when a guy that has had the success that Jordan has had, you know, leading, what, eight, eight rounds or something like that in the last five years there at Augusta. I mean, he is he's phenomenal at Augusta. And so I think when a guy like that can have an unfortunate triple on the ninth hole his, on his first nine of the tournament – Let's not forget Tiger shot 40 in his opening nine in 97 and went on to set a record. So I think a guy like Spieth who knows and understands how to win and play Augusta National, despite the triple, I think he's a guy that you could look at that, that could come back and, and challenge these guys. And quite frankly, of those in the top ten, he would be, he'd be my favorite right now uh, if, if I had to pick one. 
Uh, Tony Finau has gone out and uh, gotten himself back to even par. He opened with a 74, uh, and he's played three holes today, and he eagled the par 5 number 2. So he's even par. Uh, what do you think, Tony? Where does, where does he need to be positioned to have a shot here? Yeah, I mean, look, just keep – I mean, he's, he's right he's, – he's in, he's in contention right now. I mean, what does he set at 11? I think currently – Tied for 13 with the updates. The thir- 13th, yeah. okay. So, you know, he, he's right there. I mean, get yourself in the top 10 going into the weekend. Remember, this is, this is one of those tournaments where the majority of the winners come from one of the last two groups. So Friday is a little bit of a shuffle day. Saturday is the ultimate moving day. Get yourself into position. I think if Tony can get around, she was 68 today and something similar to that tomorrow – I mean, he's right in there with, a, with an opportunity to win again. And I, I think if you were to honestly ask Tony, he'd say he's not playing his best golf, you know, this year, let alone this, this week so far. So I do think he has some opportunities out there. Uh, you know, he's got to keep going with the lag putting. I watched him make a nice par save on one today, you know, and then he made the putt for eagle on two, which was a little above the hole. And, in fact, that was a little bit of a downhill left to rider, which has been kind of his bugaboo lately, and he made it. So, uh, I, those are good signs. That gives you a lot of confidence uh, to start today. Tony has shown, you know, again, it, let, let's just, just let's just throw out November because it was a completely different, um, you know, go- golf course. But in his two April Masters, tied for fifth, tied for tenth, and the tie for tenth was his first time ever, and he did it on a broken ankle. So, you know, I, he, he was in the final group the last time it was in April. I think Tony loves this golf course and his game suits it. So I think he's got to go out and get at least a 68 today, though, to get himself into contention. I, a DJ, I just think somebody's going to go out there. One of those guys, it might even be a McElroy, but it's going to be one of those guys that's going to go fire a 65, 64 today and, and, and uh, just vault up the leaderboard. And, and Justin's already coming back for everybody, and he's still got the back nine to, to, to try to rectify that. But uh, I just, you know, Xander Shoffley, John Rahm, um, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson. I still think one of those guys is going to make a move today. So, are you putting that these low scores that we didn't see yesterday and today strictly on the pin placements? A lot of it's not. I mean, that's hundred um, percent. Augusta National absolutely controls that golf course with with the, where they put the pins. I mean, they could make it impossible for anybody to make a birdie out there you know, if they wanted to. And you're seeing that on you know a great example is six today. Justin Rose that this it's up on that back right shelf, the par three. And it was there yesterday, but it's it's closer to the front edge of that shelf. And Justin Rose missed it to the to the fat side of the green, and he had to putt up that hill. It got within four or five feet of the hole, lost speed, turned around and rolled all the way back to his feet, and he had to do it again. And ended up, uh, you know, hitting it past about eight feet, making it for a bogey, almost four putted. So, th- those are the kind of things that can happen, you know. But. At the same time, like that was a tough pin, but three is very gettable today. Two is very gettable. One, you know, as long as you don't miss left, you're you're making birdies. So I just, I, it just looks like the pins are were set today for guys to go out and get them. And uh, the players that understand how to do that, I think, are going to – like I said, I just think there's some numbers to be made out there. Scores are going to be lower. Well, as always, we love it, and we will hear you guys uh, tomorrow morning, uh, Real Golf Radio. Saturday mornings on the Zone Sports yeah. Network. You're up Thank early you. on Saturdays, aren't you? We uh, we're we're looking forward to it. Uh, we wish we were back there this week, and uh, hoping that 22 will be uh, resuming our our normal spot back there. But but we we should have a good one. Jeff Babineau uh, is one of our uh, favorites. He's a veteran golf writer. He's been there in Augusta all week. He'll join us from Augusta as well as uh, we're expected to be joined by Boyd Summerhays, Tony's coach, and. Uh, 
course, the caddy will be with us. So it'll be it'll be fun. We're breaking it all down and have a good time. Six to nine tomorrow morning. All right, six to nine right here on the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, thank you very much. We appreciate it, Brian. Brian Taylor, Bob Casper, tomorrow morning at six a.m. DJ and PK, we've got your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. PK had to duck out a couple minutes early, which I think really is for the best because now we got people tweeting positivity at him, and I just don't think he handles that well. It kind of messes with his uh, mental mindset that the world is against him, which is what he needs to get through another day. So thank goodness he's not here to all this positivity surrounding him. He, what do you think, Yaki? Break out in hives a little bit, you know, just start scratching his arm. The red welts would start just raising up. Yeah. Probably a little thing on his neck, you know. He probably ah! doesn't feel right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Robert says, thanks for getting uh, the auction talked about. I can't believe more people are not aware and not bidding. Help retweet when he posts today's item. Joe Ingles has got a, uh, a fundraiser going. Uh, you know, he's all in on autism. He's talked about it many times and, uh, you know, his son's struggles have been quite the story, and he shared, he and his wife shared a lot of them. I don't know if they shared all of them, but they've shared a lot of them. And so he's got the auction going, if you want to help out. They've got 10 items up. I don't, honestly, I didn't know about it. I don't know why I didn't know about it. Maybe because I was out of town last week. That was probably it. All right, so I just saw it. It's on Instagram now. What is it? I went to the charity, but you go to charitybuzz.com. It's got a keyword there. search. Just search Ingles. And you'll find the auction. I see 10 items, 10 items up. What have you got? What's the new one? As of 12 minutes ago, he posted this. Auction item number nine is live. It is a signed jersey from Super Bowl champion himself, Mike Evans. Oh, okay. I do see it. But I cl- it didn't click it. Okay. Got it. I thought it was going to go top left corner on the website when I clicked new. Uh, Mike Evans. Oh, that's why he said Australia won't necessarily get it. His Australian followers won't, but the U.S. will. There it is, Mike Evans, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, autographed jersey. It's valued at $1,000. It doesn't have a bid yet. Current bid is zero, so you can get in first. Uh, Some of the other items up, hey, you Utah State Aggie fans, Sam Merrill, a virtual Q&A with the NBA rookie. The former Aggie, current Buck, that's up there, uh, $1,000 value. Someone bid $525 on that. Um, You've got multiple Joe Ingles jerseys. Uh, you got a white jersey with the green numbers. Uh, that is framed and looking like a million bucks. Uh, value twenty five hundred. Current bid is fifteen hundred. You got a custom Black Lives Matters jersey worn in the NBA bubble. That's at forty five fifty. You got a um, Joe Ingles Q and A with Renee and Joe. That's at thirteen hundred. Uh, Gordon Hayward autographed jersey and shoes at thirteen fifty, and Donovan Mitchell autographed jersey and shoes at thirty three fifty, three thousand three hundred fifty bucks. So there you go. If you ever wanted the, I wonder how much dirt he'd share. Mark Bartelstein, longtime NBA agent. Uh, they've just got a thing up here. You can you can do a Q and A with him, a virtual Q and A with top NBA agent Mark Bartelstein via Zoom. Current bid zero. Put okay. up put up a hundred bucks and see what kind of dirt he'll dish. Here, here's I the guarantee thing. he won't give you names, but yeah. he might give you pretty entertaining stories. And he's done it for I don't even know how many years. Bartelstein is Joe's agent, obviously. Right. Yeah, that's the. He link. also represents a certain um, he shall who shall not be named. 
former jazz player who currently plays for the Charlotte Hornets. Wonder if you could get some information on that whole debacle nope, in that Q&A. That one will be off. I guarantee that one is off. The, but still, there's like crazy stories without getting to the juiciest of the juiciest of the headlines. There's just funny, weird, random, crazy stuff that happens. And he's certainly got that. Right now, he's representing about 30 players, including three All-Stars. Kyle Lowry, Bradley Beal, uh, Damari Carroll, Ennis Cantor. He's got a few guys. Uh, Bobby Portis. Remember that big deal Bobby Portis had that we were all like, wow. He's probably got stories. So anyways, go to CharityBuzz.com, search Ingles, and you can go ahead and bid. Uh, you can bid 50 bucks on a couple of these new items and see what happens. You can go throw down four grand for the Donovan Mitchell stuff. Hang that on the wall. That's a conversation starter for when people stop by. And if you've got a business, think about doing this as a business, not an individual, and uh, you know, putting it on the uh, putting it on the wall. So when people walk in, walk into your office or walk into your restaurant or whatever, Donovan Mitchell gear on the wall that'll go well. All right, good luck to Joe at the auction. Uh, everybody, I, I don't want to say everybody knows somebody with autism, but it certainly seems like a lot of people, whether it's a immediate family member, a little more distant family member, uh, friend, whatever. Uh, Joe, Joe told us once on the air, he says, I've been surprised how many people have come up to me since I said this and said, oh, hey, so-and-so in my family, so-and-so. So So anyway, there you go. Uh, you can hit that up. Um, we've got a lot of people weighing in on the jazz game. We've got a lot of takes here. Um, I would say right now it's running about 80-20. Jazz fans are really happy with the game. There's 20% who feel like one out of three isn't enough or Portland is not of the same quality as the Mavs and certainly the Suns, and so the win doesn't, doesn't mean quite as much. So don't have time to delve into all of them, but that's big picture what we're seeing on Facebook at DJ and PK, on Twitter, David DJ James. Check them over the weekend. The show never stops. The stuff happens in games. PK and I will be posting stuff, and you can hit it up. All right? And uh, good thing PK wasn't here for this segment, so he didn't have to hear all that positivity about him. But good of him to bring up the auction, charitybuzz.com. Search Ingles, and you can put in your bid and uh, helps help more with the, uh, the autism research as uh, everybody works on that going forward. That's going to do it for us today. Hans and Scott are up next. Stay with us.